I'm BasilMarceau.com, the Republican candidate for governor. I'd like to recall all permit and registration for guns. guns. Everyone can carry guns. guns. If you kill someone, no, you get murdered. I mean, you go to jail. Turn a Gundam. All right, everyone, welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo, and this is going to be episode 59. And like always, I'm joined with uh, uh, Solbro and Chris. Uh, guys, say hello to the listeners out there. Hey, yo. Hi. Oh, is that Geist or is that Chris? <laughs> Kill, kill, kill. I only need the information in your head. Greatest anime character ever. I don't want your body. Yeah, (laughs) or your contorted boobs. (laughs) (laughs) But um, like I said, this is episode 59 of uh, Gundam and MHQ, and on today's episode we'll be tackling two topics. Um, And the first one's actually going to be the continuing... uh, Ghost in the Shell Roundup, and this time we're going to be uh, looking at Ghosts in the Shell uh, Standalone Complex, the series, and then we'll be also speaking about the Ghost in the Shell. The Gitz Sack. The Gitz Sack, or, you know, haha. Um, and uh, th- then we'll also be speaking a little bit about the compilation movie, which is Ghost in the Shell, The Laffy Man. Um, and then in the final uh, segment of today, uh, we'll be doing a new segment that we've uh, created for you guys, and it's going to be uh, reoccurring, but on kind of a sporadic basis, and that's going to be, everyone, Anime Toilet. Oh, man. we You know, everyone always talks about the things that you should watch because they're good. Well, we're talking about some of the things you should watch because they're bad, or <laughs> and, and help you appreciate even stuff that's bad, like Destiny or uh, G-Savior. That and, flushing uh, sound you hear could be your favorite anime. Yeah. Stay tuned. And uh, there's no other way to, to knock off the inaugural segment of Anime Toilet than with what is universally regarded as uh, some of the worst. And that is MD Geist. And that'll be MD Geist 1. And then and then we'll also talk about the MD Geist 1 colon director's cut. And then we'll finish it off with uh, the sequel of just all sequels. Uh, that is The Empire Strikes Back of uh, MD Geist. <laughs> and that is uh, MD Geist 2 colon Death Force. So, but before we uh, move on to that, we have uh, some listener-submitted news articles here, and I always want to thank all those submitting uh, those articles to the Neo's listener-submitted news thread in the Mecha Talk forum under the in in, um, in the Gundam section. And uh, some big news here, some a lot of big news in the last week or two because uh, of some of the conventions that are that went on and are currently going on. And uh, I'm actually going to give credit to a couple of guys on this first one, and this is uh, those posters are Thanatos, Anubis, Saber, and Mula Flaga. And uh, hell has frozen over, and in 2012 we will die. Because one of the biggest puzzling and unexpected news to come out of this year's San Diego Comic-Con was the licensing of, drumroll please, Turnit Gundam. Yes. (laughs) That is the classic with uh, White Devil with Mustache. Turn A Gundam. 
Uh, we are actually going to get copies that are probably going to have correct subtitles and everything. So they'll have a completely new me. We should probably review uh, review it all over again because uh, we'll probably... Episode by episode. Episode by episode because it'll probably actually uh, be a completely different story than what we're used to <laughs> with, with all the corrections. But uh, yeah, that was one of the biggest things. And um, just a few thoughts on that before I turn it over to the Straight Talk Express. And I'll let uh, Solbro say a few things before the old Straight Talk Express comes in. Well, I know Chris me- has got the... Uh, engine idling right now i hear it in the distance nice and uh who who are you uh, running it to this uh primary season uh chris any uh any takers for uh, the old uh straight talk express john banner (laughs) (laughs) sarah palin oh man but um yeah when i heard this i was completely i had to actually check twice because i thought there was a I thought there was a misspell on uh, some uh, websites that I saw this on, and I was actually contacted from somebody that was there um, about this because uh, she'd never even heard of it. Um, but um, when I when I when I heard about this, the first thing I said, "Why not X?" But Solbro, your thoughts? I I, I was quite excited on that on that news. It, it's it's a very it, it's the I, petition finally worked. It's didn't yeah, it? hey, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't start it, but I signed Wait, it. But it didn't because Solbro's petition was for X, hey, right? I yeah, did. I, right. My petition for X, but I, I know I've signed a petition for Turn A somewhere in the past. So, oh, you know, I, I, you know, it's it's a very unlikely anime. And I'm to, sure Bandai thought of that very thing when they were thinking. They oh my said, God, Sobo Ryu. Ryu signed that? Oh, man, we got to buy that mess. And they were throwing darts at a, at a dartboard to determine <laughs> which Gundam show they were like. It's like, hey, you know, there was this Internet's petition for Turn A Gundam. Well, you know, it, it's it to me, it's a very odd choice to pick up for the next Gundam series, especially to follow Double O. I don't know how much of a success Double O was, but you know, Turn A Gundam was probably, I guess, the first newer-looking Gundam series to be created because I think the one that came before that, that that's a TV show, not an OVA. Um, the previous TV show was X, and it's kind of that still got that old-school look. But it, but if anything, that's not the knock. That's not the knock yeah, X. Turn A was still done in that old-school animation style. Yeah, it was really seed that was the first done in the, yeah. uh, the digital oh. coloring style i see what you mean well if anything yeah turn a is an odd choice but it's it i think it's a bold choice um if they do release it out here when they do release it out here not if um i'm pretty sure it's not gonna have a dub i'm sure it's gonna be straight sub um and hopefully box set it because i can't wait to replace my hong kong bootlegs of that of that show i'm not afraid to admit i own that but i'm also not afraid to admit that the second these dvds become available i'm picking them up because i don't know how long they're going to be around and then as you send that bandai bandai secret police is on its way to your house oh man they already put the hit out nice they'll, they'll be waiting for you by the time you get there thanks to bandai entertainment thank you thank all right. you all right so bro is that, I, that that's pretty much it i'll let chris do his thing all right chris break it out <laughs> uh, well first my my just, oh okay i'm sorry your thoughts comments mm-hmm. um you know i'm i'm completely surprised and mystified that Bandai would choose to um, release Turning Gundam now, 11 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. But, um, however, I'm also very pleased that they've decided to release it because that's one of my favorite alternate universes, and I will be happy to, you know, plop down whatever cash yeah. it is to have this on DVD day one mm-hmm. because I've been wanting to see a nice DVD release of this series for so many years, and the fact that it's finally happening is uh, a real surprise and a pleasant one at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I... However, this is where the Straight Talk Express comes in. Oh, my, my fellow Americans. Make room. Uh, you've got, um, unfortunately, the uh, the Hopers and the Dreamers. Mm. They're coming out of the woodwork now because they think that their hoping and dreaming has been justified. We, we, we call them the Soul Bros of the, <laughs> of the internet. And they kind of need to be... Uh, beaten back into their proper position which is uh, underfoot mm. 
So uh, these hopers and dreamers, I've noticed all across the internet and even on MechaTalk, uh, they're already kind of jumping the gun and saying, hey, what's going to get licensed next? So uh, you've seen um, fanboys throwing double Zeta, throwing about all these reasons, uh, you know, why they think either uh, ZZ or V or X will be licensed next. And um, what I would say to that first is, let's see what even happens with Turn A first, because yeah, you know, when Zeta the TV show was licensed, it took almost two years for it to come out. Um, about four years ago, Bandai mentioned looking into licensing the Zeta movies only to just release them, like, last month. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's see. And, and of course, uh, you know, about nine years ago, they said they had licensed um, SBT Lasner and, well... Still waiting know, on that one. I stopped waiting on... I'm st- I stopped waiting on the DVDs for that a very long time ago yeah. after their story of bad masters or whatever. So, let's see what actually happens with Turn A and let's see how Turn A is going to be released before we start uh, talking about... Um, what shows him to release next, and um, you know, I see some fanboy stuff that gets tossed out there. Uh, one of the common comments that I've seen, even before this announcement, was that um, ZZ is a log- is the most logical choice because um, it already has almost a complete dub cast due to the Dynasty Warriors games. Oh man! And uh, I want to shoot this down right now because <laughs> it's it's ridiculous fanboy nonsense. I'm sorry, it is. No yeah. offense to anyone who believes this, but it's ridiculous fanboy nonsense. And it's one of these things that seems to get a firmer hold through more and more repetition yeah. just because it's being repeated more, not because it has any basis in truth. Yeah. And, um, you know, first of all, there's no reason to believe that when considering what to license, that one of the reasons Bandai would choose to license ZZ is, hey, we already have almost a complete dub cast because of the Dynasty Warriors Gundam games. Yeah, that right. makes sense. Number two, there's no guarantee that ZZ will be dubbed. Mm-hmm. And number three, there's no, even if it is dubbed, there's no guarantee that Bandai would use those same voice actors because, as we've seen, like with Zeta Gundam, they don't really place that much emphasis on dub continuity like fans do. Yeah. Right. And I've even seen, like, oh, you know, I wonder if they're going to use the, the Turn A voice actors from Dynasty Warriors now for the Turn A dub. <laughs> and again, uh, one, we don't know that Turn A is going to be dubbed because. You know, the trend that we're seeing now in the anime industry here is a lot of smaller and older titles are being released with no dub to save on, on costs. Yeah, yeah. It costs a lot of money to dub a show, especially a 50-episode TV show of very limited commercial marketability like Turn A. Yeah, I mean... Um, and number two, again, there's no guarantee that if Bandai did want to dub it, that they would use the people from Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> So I don't know why people are so hung up about this, and what really gets me is that people present these ideas that seem to them perfectly logical, but in reality are completely illogical and the furthest possible thing from the truth and from what will actually happen. So, again, let's see what happens with turn A, and uh, you know, before you make these um, fanboy pronouncements of what's going to get licensed next, try to look at it from uh, a realistic perspective, which is, I understand, very hard for a lot of fanboys to um, 
understand because we've talked about this issue before. You know, the way that fans see things is very different from the business reality of the way things actually are. Especially now when you're in a you're in a, a global recession when it comes to, you know, most countries and, and things like that and just people's buying habits in general. So and, yeah. and, and a lot of people just have yeah. not worked, you know, in any business industry or in the entertainment industry. They don't understand how things actually are. They yeah. just see things from their perspective as a fan, very narrow perspective, and they think that everything should be that way. You know, if, if I went to Bandai and I was uh, an employee there, you know, in charge of licensing, and I said to my boss, hey, boss, you know, uh, let's license this 25-year-old Gundam show because we already got most of the cast dubbed with them uh, <laughs> Dynasty Warriors games. I think that would at the very least be laughed out of the uh, out of the room. Oh, you mean the Platinum Hits Dynasty Warriors games, too. <laughs> and, and then maybe I'd get fired, too. Yeah. Maybe not, but at the very least, I think I'd get a laugh at for that because it's just such a ridiculous idea of, you know, hey, because we got some stiffs off the street to dub these characters in this Dynasty Warriors Gundam game, that that somehow has anything to do with whether we should release that series in America. Mm-hmm. It's just a really dumb idea, and the sooner it went away, the better, but unfortunately, I, I know how fans are, and uh, instead, the idea will just take firmer root over time, and it'll just spread more and more and more until it becomes the fanboy conventional wisdom of, why wouldn't they license ZZNex? It already has a complete dub cast from Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> and then when ZZ doesn't get licensed next, if that's what happens, and they'll be like, but ZZ already had a dub cast, why didn't they license it? Hate, hate, troll, troll. <laughs> yeah, so that um, that is my comment. Please just think before you type these things on the internet, because really, you're just making yourself look like a dumbass. Damn. And I may sound like a dick for saying that, and you know what? I don't care because people think I'm a dick anyway. Nice. But I'm just preaching the truth. <laughs> That's the whole point of the Straight Talk Express. Preach. <laughs> yeah, my my final thought is I'm happy, but yet again, let's I'm I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. Let's wait and see. I just I just want to know if um you know I saw and, and just as an add on to this, mm-hmm. I saw people speculating that when um and we'll get about this later in in um some more of the news yeah that Bandai was going to have some announcements at uh, Otakon yeah and people were already wondering before this if one of those licenses would be another old Gundam show like X. It's like really wow. Do you think that after licensing one old Gundam show, that suddenly Bandai would, less than a week later, say, hey, we're going to license another old Gundam show, too, just for the hell of it. And just, just go Gundam crazy. <laughs> just, they're just going to go Gundam mad, because, you know, we at Bandai Entertainment obviously have so much money to throw around licensing old Gundam shows, and uh, certainly... Um, not on on quality control. Yeah. So. So yeah, that's that's my addendum on that. Final thought. Final thought. All right, Solbro, your final thought because you wanted to say something. I, I just want to know if there, you know, if there was any uh, process behind um, what made him come to the decision of picking Turnage on them. Like if they have focus groups or something like that, where they just like, well, yeah, just show probably, them the they, show. They, and, I, I mean, mean, that's how corporations work. You yeah, have to yeah. ask them. But yeah, they're, uh, I, I would like to talk to them someday about that and how how they came to the decision of licensing Turnage. Yeah. You'll never know because you know, I, I got to applaud that choice. But at the same time, it's a hard road. Well, I have to wonder in response to that. Mm-hmm. Since Turn A um, is a Tamino-directed show, yeah. I've noticed that uh, whenever Bandai has released, Bandai Entertainment has released a show licensed by Tamino, uh, Sunrise is the one that's very possessive of it. And if you look at the credits of stuff like Mobile Suit Gundam, um, Zeta Gundam, Stars Counterattack, Overman King Gainer, yeah. mm-hmm. the English version and everything is produced by Sunrise. Oh, yeah. wow. They're the ones who uh, 
take control of that, and Bandai Entertainment really is just a distributor. Okay. And uh, it's been made clear in the past that Sunrise has forced them to release things in an order they didn't want to release them. Hmm. Like just releasing Charge Counterattack and G-Savior after Mobile Suit Gundam. So given that uh, Sunrise is very possessive and dominating of Tamino shows, I kind of have to wonder if they were the ones who suddenly, for some reason now, are forcing Ben Entertainment to release this show. Exactly. That's a very good question. <laughs> but but right. we'll probably never know. All right. Well, enough about Turn A, because I'm sure we'll be talking about this uh, in future shows. Turn A, Gundam. <laughs> but uh, before we move on, I just got a special report coming in on the old headset here. Uh-oh. And coming live from Otakon is Pedo Bear South with some breaking uh, news when it, <laughs> in regarding to more releases. Pedo Bear South, how are you doing? Lollies. <laughs> Okay, um, how, how's the con? Is it really busy? Is it, is it been uh, very informative when it comes to new things coming out in the industry? Moe! <laughs> okay. Um, Pedal Bear South, that, that's good to know. What, what, what are some of the, uh, the new titles that we can expect to be released uh, uh, that were announced this week uh, during Otakon? DFC! <laughs> DFC. What what is that short for? I, I I'm not really I don't really recognize that off the off the, off the top of my head there. Delicious fratches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, um, Pedal Bear South, for that uh, uh, for that information. I'm sure our users are going to definitely love that. But um, our man on the spot. Our man on the spot. <laughs> but seriously, what, what were some additional titles that we had coming out of Otakon, uh, Mr. Pedal Bear? Well, or sorry, or Chris now. Sorry. <laughs> What are you talking about? I, I'm a totally different person. Oh, that's right. He must have took over. He must have. Yeah, that's right. He tapped in. <laughs> he, so anyway, um, he caught Solbroitis. Oh, oh, he sure did. You know, as I mentioned, um, Bandai said that they would have some uh, announcements at Otakon, which of course some people thought would be an old Gundam show, mm-hmm. but it was not. Uh, <laughs> one of them was uh, another Myotome OAV. Yay! And then uh, the second license was um, Sora Kake Girl, which. Uh, might better be known by to some people as the girl who leapt through space, which is uh, definitely a, a mecha show. Cool. And uh, it's made by the people who did uh, My Hime, so it's a very booby, fan service show if you like that sort of thing, and uh, I know I do. There you go. Well, the pedos <laughs> don't, though. Well, you know, you, you got some that, that might be too old, Yeah. but then you have some that would that some characters that would be just, just right. right. Yeah. So that's coming out, and... Um, Funimation, our pals over at Funimation, they uh, they are bringing us one step closer to instrumentality and to the apocalypse. They they have licensed uh, Ava 2.2. Oh, nice. And what's interesting <laughs> is, uh, unlike... Um, this this decade's telling of that story? <laughs> yes. Well, no. Yeah. What's interesting is, you know, originally when they released it on DVD, it was the original 1.0 version, and then uh, when they released the Blu-ray, it was the 1.1 version. Hmm. However, this time, they're just jumping to the 2.2 version directly. What if oh, the nice. 2.3 comes in, though? Oh, crap. Then I guess... <laughs> you know that might happen. Next week, you might get a, a, a thing about 2.3 Super Samoan. <laughs> Oh crap! Then I guess we'll have to shell out for the Super Samoan. You never know with that pesky Ava. So that that um, that was the other big mecha license, and uh, although not a license yet, uh, I know that Pedal Bear North is very happy that um, there is a new Super Robot Wars anime that's going to be airing in Japan this fall. Right. Oh, oh yeah. cool. And it's called, if you can swallow this title, Super Robot Wars Original Generation: The Inspector. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Inspector, huh? <laughs> Uh. And
And uh, hey, it's not as bad as the um, the DS game uh, Super Robot Wars Original Generation Saga Endless Frontier. Yeah. Well, or the sequel Super Robot Wars Original Generation Endless Frontier Exceed. I'm I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Pedal Bear North is ready to. He's saving up his money now for those uh, two episode five jillion dollar <laughs> two two minute DVDs. <laughs> two two episode DVDs. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Actually, and maybe they'll give him a special edition with just one episode, and then we get to spend an hour hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> I'm sorry, Peter. I'm sure he is saving up for that. And uh, you know, the first uh, Super Robot Wars TV show, it summarized the um, not summarized, but adapted the original generation GBA game. Right. And uh, this new one is an adaptation of the second game, which people have been waiting for for many years. So uh, you know, congratulations for those fans. I know I've been waiting for an adaptation of that game, and. Uh, You'll see it in the fall, and coincidentally, it's, uh, speaking of fan service, since Super Robot Wars has no lack of that, it's directed by uh, Masami Obari, a a known, Mm -hmm. a well-known mecha designer and director who has directed such fan service-y productions as um, Don Geyser 3, Mm -hmm. uh, Gravion, Gravion, uh, Dan Cougar Nova, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, is also well known for his sort of uh, muscular style mecha designs, mm-hmm. like uh, you know if you've seen the um, opening sequence for Dragon R, mm-hmm. or if you've seen some of his designs in the original Dan Cougar. So you know you got a big name director, and that's how we first knew about this when uh, you know some Japanese animator guy leaked on his Twitter that uh, he didn't want to work on this new project because Obari was involved, and obviously it was that Obari. So Ooh. maybe this guy's just not big on. Uh, on fan service, but Obari so far already not disappointing. They've just put up like the pre page for the uh, inspector website, mm-hmm. and you got a screenshot of uh, Exilin Browning in her pilot suit oh. with uh, her nipples very heavily poking through said suit. Mm, that is his trademark right there. Not, not, and, not and a very got, thick suit, huh? And you've got um, a female robot with boobs. And nipples. Oh, awesome! So it, it's like it's like Val Kilmer Batman all over again. He's taking it to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, so, so if you like your robots, you like your busty girls, you like all of that, then uh, I guess uh, Super Robot Wars will be providing that this fall when it starts up in Japan. It's what we come with, come to expect from the director of um, Detonator Organ. Oh man. Oh, Barry, he never quits. Any other uh, releases there, Chris? Or. Uh, Anything of importance? Okay, cool. All right, next... Uh, well, you know, we are one month away from... Uh, there's some robot show that's been around for a long time in Japan, and they got some movie coming out, and... Oh, yeah. Not Unicorn, but the other one. Yeah. Yeah, some, some, thing, it's, some name that's got a couple, like, numbers in it. And, but it doesn't exist. What are you talking about? It, it's probably a piece of crap. <laughs> It's just like the second season of whatever that show was. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it, it's funny that it comes out before um, Unicorn 2. But... Sweet. All right, cool. Next, uh, listener submitted an article here, and this comes from Vent Noir, and uh, this is off the Anime News Network. And for, get you, you know, replace one petition for a new one. And uh, there's going to be in the September issue of Katakawa Shoten's Gundam Ace, they've announced a new Gundam Wing Endless Waltz uh, manga. And it's going to be called uh, Gun- Gundam Wing Endless Waltz, The Glory of the Defeated. So... <laughs> 
I, no, no real story things yet on this, but uh, it's a, it's going to have the um, main script writer from the original Gundam Wing show and Endless Waltz, along with um, uh, some other uh, illustrators, done several uh, Gundam novelizations, and um, you know, also we that current issue or that September issues uh, features the launch of the G Gundam one that we talked about a few episodes back. So uh, any of the you know get get those petitions ready. But um, next one here comes from Poster Pashido, and this is off the Nikong blog spot. Uh, remember the uh, 1-1 Gundam? Oh, yeah. Yeah, now it's in a place called Shizuka, and it's going to be there from Janu- uh, July 24th to January 10th of next year. And they have a Gundam cafe there. And if you go to uh, Mr. Bushido's... <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bushido, not the Mr. Bushido, but oh, Mr. Bushido. No, it's it's already there now. Yeah, yeah, it's there now. I'm saying it's there from the 24th of July. To, but um, if you go to his link, it's got some cool pictures showing it. You know, of course, the Gundam and then things with the Gundam Cafe and the crazy... Um, the crazy Japanese people. Um, it's got a beam saber now. Yeah, it's got a beam saber. Man, and, that is uh, awesome. Um, some cosplayers. And in a kind of addendum to off the Nikong blog spot, uh, a poster, Nasty Nate, put there, he has a link for the 1-1 core fighter that's also in located in the area of the... Um, of the RX seventy eight dash two, so Whoa. it's got some cool pictures of that. It's um, it's not complete, but it's you know it's kind of where it's inverted, and it's you know it's at the end when Armro got out of it, it's inverted, and then nice. like the bottom portion of the wings aren't there. So, but for the most part, it's it's the whole thing. And our last listener submitted news article, and this is coming from Taka Toha Nuva. I haven't seen this as a poster before, but um, Votomes, Chris, you. You ever watch Votoms? <laughs> no, I don't know what that is. Okay. Well, uh, if you did, they've uh, updated on the Japanese website. They've updated uh, the, some of the... Uh, they have some new sections there for the new OVAs that are coming out. And, uh, of course, uh, Case Irvine is going to start this November. Mm-hmm. And uh, Votome Finder starts um, about a month after that. And then Alone Again will start in January of 2011. So all those fans of Votomes, like again. Chris, mm-hmm. uh, check it out. And hopefully um, has that uh, that that theme um, alone again from um, my man Gilbert Gilbert O'Sullivan, man. That's that that'll be the perfect theme. They've already used it for one anime, um, Mason and Goku, man. Let's let's use it again. But that that that's pretty. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, no, that's that's pretty cool news, man. Uh, the new Voltomes is always a good thing. Yeah, it is. Uh, Chris, I'm sure the mailbag is a little heavy. So what do you have for oh, us? Oh, it is. Uh, before we uh, move on to our first segment. This first question comes from Red Comet 90. Mm. Oh. Uh, recently on Mecha Talk, and by recently he means March when he posted this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was a thread where people started to discuss what Char's real reasons were for starting up Neo Zeon. Mm. I figure I'd ask what the Gundam trio thought of this and what you three think Char's real reason for creating Neo Zeon, whether it be actually following his father's ideals or merely out of a selfish desire to beat Amaro. Thanks. Well, what's he say in Char's counterattack? So, Neo, um, what do you think? What did he say in Char's counterattack? He just wanted to eat people off the earth and stuff. Yeah, he's sent it into deep sleep and people yeah. polluting the earth and blah, 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 blah. There, there's a reason. Because Tamino said so. <laughs> Solbro? Oh, yeah, he had some, he had the noble reasons, but I think the core came down to wanting to enact uh, Amaro into um, 
into facing off with him. I mean, it, it's a mixture of things. Fan I know. S- s- no, just just it just is in the background, subliminal, you know, subconsciously for him. You know, it's probably one of the things that drove him to do it. But at the same time, he had other, you know, shards of complicated. So dude. hey, I'm going to drop an asteroid and kill millions of people on a planet instead of just saying, "Hey, Armoro, it's Shar. It's let's added- go have a battle out by the uh, the flagpole <laughs> of Granada. It's an added bonus." <laughs> You know, it's part of Jan- Gr- Shar's grand scheme. Mm. But um, no, I, I think it's a mixture of things. Um, I, I like to think that the 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 grand scheme um, effect of wanting to get people off the planet and, and forcing mankind to to move into the next level is this big thing. But yeah, I, I know he, he there's some there's some selfish desire there too, and it, it becomes more apparent as their fighting is going on towards the end of the movie. So. Why? Because he says, "Armor, I'm doing something wicked." Yeah, well, he's just he's it's, he's channeling his inner Voldemort, man. <laughs> Chris, here. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Chris, I have a question before you move on to the next one after your explanation. Okay. Uh, I think that it's um, it's certainly a mix of both because, you know, he did have these ideals. We've known that he wants to uh, see his father's vision come to fruition, people moving out into space and becoming new types, et cetera, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. he had these ideals throughout Zeta Gundam. He always talked about how the Earth was being destroyed by people and that uh, – People were having their souls weighed down by gravity, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, obviously the bad result of things in Zeta Gundam and, you know, the first Neo Zeon War had some kind of effect on him that uh, made him very negative and want to come to such an extreme method because, um, obviously, as we saw through the Earth Federation's cowardice in ZZ, they weren't doing anything on their own. I mean, hell, they. They easily gave in to Hamon's intimidation of give me side three, and yeah. you know they were happy about the colony being dropped on Dublin because they're like, oh, it's it's some population control, so we don't have to worry about all those people. So when you have such a corrupt government like that in place, I can understand why someone would be driven to extremism. Of course, it doesn't excuse his acts of terrorism, but it explains his mindset. Yeah. And also, you know, after all these years, he still had this whole unresolved thing about Lala, and although he worked with Amaro in uh, Zeta, apparently over the years, um, you know, those old feelings came back, and he had a desire to, uh, you know, beat Amaro once and for all, so I think that uh, it's it's both, rather than just cool. one. Cool. Hey, did they both die at the end of the Charles Counter-Attack? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> Next question. Anyway. What's up, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our next question comes from Sky Knight. He says, uh, his first question, with most Japanese being honest by buying anime on DVDs and Blu-rays, do you think this should mark the end of all recap episodes in anime? No need to refresh viewer memories? Like in Gundam, almost all of them had one or two, with Wing and Seed and Destiny being the worst offenders. Double O did have one that was carefully integrated in the midpoint of season one. So, uh, Silver, what do you think? Uh, Does... Home video mark the end of the recap episode. I I'd like to think so. <laughs> I'd like to think so because it's a waste of it. But you'd be wrong. Uh, you know, it, it still happens though. I mean, when Home it video comes, has been out for how long now? Yeah, I mean, yeah. videotapes have been around for you know thirty years. Yeah. And we still have recap episodes anyway. I still find them to be, you know, excuse, excusable if you're doing a TV show. Um, OVAs, of course, there's no excuse for them to be there. But for a TV show, sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes uh, a break is coming up and, and, and you want to, you know, pace or set things up for the second arc. So you do a recap um, episode to make sure that, you know, people are yeah, that's, on point. that's the idea and, behind them, right? They're usually yeah. behind. And let's not freak, well, yeah. 
let's not forget what the the real reason is for a recap episode behind you know above you know let's introduce new viewers to the storyline and yada yeah. yada. Yeah. The real reason, of course, is we're a couple of weeks behind animating these episodes and we need some extra time to get them out. You're right. You're right. That's usually it. It's it's production delays and and sometimes budget constraints. You know, you if you're going to set up a, a spectacular set of episodes coming up, sometimes it helps to have a uh, a recap episode to help just pad things out. And which is what led to the uh, unprecedented four consecutive clip shows in Wolf's Reign. <laughs> oh God, I know. And let's, four. Let, let's not forget about Destiny and and um and and Seed. That that those both those shows had their share of clip shows too. So. My God, my God! I can, I can excuse see it a little bit more than Destiny, <laughs> but so uh, Neo, what do you what do you think on on this issue? No, because uh, phone video has been around for thirty years, and if it hasn't killed it yet, I don't see it doing it in the near future. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe as they start doing the whole, um, well, even uh, I was going to say even when they do the 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 simultaneous releases sometimes, but there might be even more of a reason why they might have more. Uh, recaps now because if you're doing it um, you know these simultaneous worldwide releases especially on um, weekly shows so I don't think it's going to end anytime soon yeah, it's it's never going to end because if uh, the advent of home video would have ended it it would have happened in the 80s or and it never did or the 90s at least yeah yeah so bl- blu-ray and dvd I mean dvd's been around for over 10 years it's been around for like 13 years it never changed the lack of you know the recap episode situation and now blu-ray is not going to change it either I mean it doesn't make them any less annoying, but they're just a fact of life. Hell, I was just watching um, last week the fourth episode of High School of the Dead. Fourth episode, first half was a recap. Awesome. Damn. It's like, great. A whole waste of half of an episode on crap from just the first three episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. And you hope that that's not a, um, a reoccurring thing that they do either. That would be bad. It would, but, uh, you know, what can you do? Yeah. So, recaps are not going away. Um, Skynet, he also asked a question about uh, what would be a de- dream team of Japanese voice actors for us, but uh, I think I'll skip that because I'd probably be the only one who'd have an answer for it. Yeah. <laughs> and his third question um, on a personal level, what do you guys do and how much time do you spend watching anime, playing games, and doing podcasts? Do you guys ever hover out of the state of Florida? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's your answer, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I do. I've never broken it down into hours, but yeah, I do. So Okay. Uh, Soul bro? I, um, yeah, I, I, other than, you know... A, 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 Street Fighter. Yeah, Street Fighter. No, <laughs> I just recently left the state for my honeymoon in, in Vegas, and everybody knows that. Street Fighter. St- yes, indeed, Street Fighter. Um, I do watch quite hey, a bit of to television. Evo for your man. <laughs> At least I, I used to watch quite Are a bit of television. Are you not obsessed with Street Fighter? I, I enjoy fighting games as a whole. I, I'm quite obsessed with King of Fighters, too, but that's, I guess that's my dirty secret. No, I'm... <laughs> King of Street Fighters? King of Street Fighters. Hey... But no, um, you know, other than that, I um, I, I listen to other podcasts as well as edit ours, and I um, I work. <laughs> we know though that your real wife is your DVR. No doubt, yeah. no doubt. I'm sure, I'm sure and, Jen and, would love and, to hear and that. And the human is just a cut, co- and the human is just a cover. <laughs> <laughs> I have a a television orgy every day. No, <laughs> but that that's, that's just funny. some of the things I do. I I. As of recently, anyway. Uh, you know, I I work, I go to school, which will be done in a little bit, and uh, you know, I watch anime recreationally. Aside from what I do for MHQ, uh, play video games, including Street Fighter. Hey, nice. Uh, read, listen to a few podcasts. I I don't even have time to listen to Gundam episodes when they come out, so <laughs> I don't have much time for other podcasts. 
and somehow I just managed to juggle all of that together, and it's it's a wonder that I do any of that in 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. Seven days a week, right? Pretty much. So, our last question comes from Mr. Chico, who says, Do you guys think it's about time Gundam went Hollywood, i.e. Big Summer Blockbuster? I think that Transformers did a pretty decent job with the mecha aspect of it. Story sucked, though. If so, which era would you prefer the film to be set in, and why do you think the era you chose would make it a hit? I'll, I'll jump on this one first. Go ahead. Uh, no, never, and won't happen. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to say. We, we've talked about this before, and um, you know this just relates to the whole theme we've had before about mecha fans having unrealistic expectations, mm-hmm. and I can't beat this point home enough. Gundam is obscure in America. It's obscure. No matter how much you think otherwise, no matter how many mecha websites you visit, just because you visit websites like Mecha Talk or Macross World or 4chan or whoever, where they're always talking about mecha, it does not translate to wide stream, uh, wide mainstream popularity. It just doesn't. Yeah. You know, Gundam Wing was popular 10 years ago, but that was a flash in the pan. It's time has gone. The kids who watch it, they've all grown up now. Some of them have continued to be Gundam fans. A lot have not. Gundam just does not have that nostalgia factor that Transformers has here in America where it's been around for 25 years. Mm-hmm. It never will. It's, it's, it's opportunity for that already passed. So, you know, I don't want to see a Hollywood Gundam movie. It would never happen anyway because nobody knows what Gundam is, and no matter what era you made it in, it would not be successful. Not even Gundam Wing because, like I said, it had its popularity 10 years ago, but they never managed to, you know, contain that lightning in a bottle and get it to be something successful. Because what people were introduced to was Gundam Wing, and what they wanted was more Gundam Wing, but they didn't get it. So, it just won't happen. Ever. Sorry to have to be so blunt about it, but that's just the reality of how it is. Bursting bubbles everywhere, just bursting them. That's what I do every... I, I destroy people's dreams. Reality checking. Yes. So, Sobro, your comment. I would, I'm, 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 of course, the opposite of, well, I wouldn't say the opposite, but I would love to see a, a Gundam live action movie. Um, I don't think why it's would ha- you want to see this? I, 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 no, why, no, why would you, you want to see an abomination like that? I, I would not want to see it adapted from anything that's already come. I'd like to see an original story, kind of like what they tried to do with G Savory but failed, you know, miserably. But why would you want to see it though? Because G Savory was under budget, but if with, with today's technology, and I'm sure there's some directors out there. Who you know you but, might you might the in the thing, next couple of you're not decades. The question: Why would you want to see it? I would like to see it because I think it has the potential to 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 come across cinematically. I, I think it does. I mean, I I was hard to believe Transformers would, and yet it you know the first movie did it you know Dude, did it successfully. There's but, not much to Transformers than robots blowing stuff up, which is true. But there've been other watching from the sidelines. There have been other adaptations like you. Twenty years ago, comic book adaptations were total garbage, save for a few like like Superman, the the first two Superman films. You know, competently directed and written and, and laid out but for the mo- for the most part the majority of them completely sucked nowadays you know we we have pretty you know well directed and shitty anime adaptations yeah <laughs> which is true and but, uh, but shitty video game adaptations but in in essence i think it's generational you got people who are just trying back then who were trying to release these movies for a quick buck because they knew they had a fan base and they knew they could probably you know make money off oh, of that fan base that's going on now yeah it's going on now but per, you know on average we get a decent comic book 
movie, you know, every couple of months, you know. It, it, but look how many decades it took for that to happen. Exactly. Now we're going through the cycle of shitty video game and anime movies, mm-hmm. and as Hollywood has shown, yeah. they don't care about the audience that loves this stuff. They're always chasing after that mythical uh, yeah. mainstream audience mainstream of the audience. average Joe who doesn't know anything. They don't care about the story of the game or the anime. They don't care about the characters. They don't care about the continuity. They don't care about being faithful. They just want to put out some piece of crap sure. that will appeal to everyone who does not like it. Very true. But, I mean, there's... there's you, know, you would want that for Gundam. I would like to see that at a time where, you know, you get a director who's gung-ho about the project and wants to make this right. You know, I, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever get a Christopher Nolan, in a sense, to, to, to you know, on the level of, of what he did for Batman for any kind of Gundam uh, movie. But I don't expect to see one anytime soon but I would like to see someone well, try can and you can you even think of one director who might know about Gundam let alone like it Spielberg is the only director that I know that knows about Gundam he definitely knows about Gundam because he's mentioned it before so but I don't think he'd ever go around and, and direct anything like that okay Sp- Spielberg is like He's yeah. an industry unto himself. Yeah. He, which other, he, which than, he other than Spielberg, there probably is no director out there who knows of Gundam or likes it or cares about it. But what's to say in 20 years that's the case? In 20 years, it'll be even less likely because Gundam will be even more obscure in America than it is now. It'll be a 50-year-old show. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't <laughs> and know. And Wing um, will be something that aired 30 years ago and was just a brief you know, blip of popularity. I don't, I don't disagree. I I disagree with the fact that I don't. I think um, I think there are writers and I think there are directors that yeah. know of it. But the reason why that it, you don't see it is because they know that they there's no way it's going to work. Who'd give them the money for it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that people don't know it because you know those people do. But I would not want to see it either because especially if it's if you're going to do Universal Century, I don't want to see a retelling of it. You know, I, I, I don't want this like to I be said, Evangelion. I'd like to see an original so, bro, thought and idea. Uh, Mm-hmm. I'll put your argument this way. I'll put okay. your argument this way. All right. If Voltron, which has loads of nostalgia <laughs> in America, yeah. had its live action movie fall apart, yeah. and Robotech, which also had loads oh, of nostalgia, mm-hmm. is in development hell, right. what chance does Gundam have, which has does not have that same pull that Robotech and Voltron does? Right now, yeah, not, not much of a chance. Not much of a chance at all. But, you know... It, it, we we got we we've gotten adaptations about obscure comic books um, that have come out and have been very you know very good like like look, Wait, look for instance Hellboy is one of those which uh, are all American productions sure yes. sure American but it comic books that already have an audience here we're not talking about importing some thirty year old franchise okay. so it's not really an apt comparison if anything I mean, you you're, you're you're right on that aspect but and I, even and, like say Dragon Ball which is old right has a long history in the U S mm-hmm. so. There's really, there's really no example of an obscure foreign thing that's really old being brought over here and being adapted, as far as I know of. And, and you got to remember too, a lot of those graphic novels and comics that you're talking about, the reason why they, you know, people know about them too, is because these are like industry award-winning um, stories too. You know, Gundam hasn't won anything in the United States. It's like, you know, there, there hasn't been the Lifetime Achievement Awards at the Academy. Awards for uh, Yoshiyuki Tamino and Gundam. I mean, and, it's and a lot th- of those comics appear on imprints of some of the really big publishers like exactly. Marvel and DC. Yeah. So they have, you know, the reach to get out into comic shops, to get out into the bookstores. They have the reach for advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, Bandai Entertainment is just a small little company out in California. Which is another another true point. I I just say I just think that something like this will take time to happen, and 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 for it to be done well, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But I, I'm a Dreamer and Sobro, you you keep on keeping on. I keep on dreaming. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you keep that dream alive. I will. I will. I'll, I'll continue to be the schmuck at the dinner. <laughs> I just... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think sometimes there just comes a point where um, this, all this could have, should have stuff mm-hmm. just needs to go away. And there's certain things that are just, I, I believe, Mobile Suit Gundam, the original story, mm-hmm. should just be left alone in its original form because I don't think you're going to do it in a better way than what it is. And like I said, it'll end up like Evangelion. You'll be in, at the end of the day, you're going to have like five different versions. It's like, what the <laughs> hell do I, what the hell do I look at? As the- Transformers, it's a little bit more. Uh, forgiving because how many times did they retell that story even in their cartoons and anime so you know it's 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 kind of the same thing but yeah i don't i mean and let's be honest that what it the uh the 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 percentage of gundam fans in america went from 0.001 to (laughs) 0.0015 so now we can have a big budget hollywood movie on it but that it chris on the mailbag. That's it for the mailbag. All right. Well, uh, that's it for the news in the mailbag. A little extended version of that. There and, we go. And uh, we'll be back in a little bit with a our first segment, Ghost in the Shell Roundup. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. My teammates, it was an honor to be on the court with you. You guys are the best. Even you, Vakaitis. Damn dumb son of a bitch. You don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? In a world where vivid flashbacks can strike without warning. In a world where a submissive adolescent must pilot a giant humanoid robot to save humanity. In the same world where a two-legged quadruped can run leisurely at the speed of sound with the aid of jewelry. Only one podcast can discuss this with their sanity intact. And this is Not That Podcast. www.ssapodcast.com The Ass Backwards Anime Podcast. Oh wait, I was supposed to use that voice in the beginning. Uh, Let's go again. End of discussion! Debate is over, you will write a formal apology. I will what? A formal apology. You will kowtow, you will step and fetch. Frank, if you think you can get take me. Get used to it, it's the way of the world. If you're so hot on discipline, then Gun- damn it, start by accepting mine. Because contrary to popular opinion, I'm the head <clears throat> in charge. Come on, let's get something to eat. You really think you're bad, don't you? This segment of Gundam at MAHQ is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. This is Chris, and uh, it's been a few episodes, but for this segment we're going to continue with the second installment of our Ghost in the Shell Roundup. In the first one we talked about the original 1995 movie by Mamoru Oshii, 
And this time we're going to take a look at the 2002 TV series reboot Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, sometimes affectionately known as Gits Sack among fans. And, you know, the TV series has the same cast of characters. You've got uh, Major Kusanagi, you've got Bato, you've got Togusa, you've got uh, Aramaki, and, uh, you know, some of the other supporting cast members. But it's an alternate universe from the original movie, so don't expect it to be a continuation of that, because it isn't. And it shares some similarities with um, the original movie, but also uh, there are some differences, and um, the interesting thing about uh, this show lies in its setup with its storyline, which is part of its title, Standalone Complex. You have a series of unrelated episodes, which are called standalones, and then you have a couple of episodes that form a continuing storyline that are called complex episodes. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're kind of going to split it up into a discussion about standalones and complex ones. So um, first we'll uh, mention the standalones. And uh, what's interesting about the standalones is they are all self-contained. You know, they all take up just one episode's worth of time. And they really explore the um, sort of sci-fi noir police procedural angle. Because in each of these episodes, you have Section 9 investigating something. Just as the same as you would see in any police procedural show in America. Except that it's in a futuristic sci-fi setting with, you know, cyborgs and, you know, super advanced internet and all that sort of thing so uh Solbro, any uh standalone episodes in particular that stand out for you well one of my favorites uh, and, and it's probably a favorite of all, all of ours is uh jungle cruise uh the episode where um, i think it's a, a perfect day for a jungle cruise the episode where you learned a little bit about Bateau's past as a uh, as, as, as a soldier in the military he was a, a mercenary i think a soldier of fortune um and he was fighting in oh, south he was, america he was in the america he was uh, oh, he, he was at he was uh, oh, sdf ranger, ranger. Yeah. gosh it's been a while um but yeah he was a, he was a ranger that's right um in the i guess the american army and uh he runs into a i guess a perpetrator in japan or you know he runs across a, a string of grisly murders that remind him of uh, a kind of killer that was um that he faced off against during the um during the war, war uh, whatever world war he was in and he is on a personal mission to to hunt down this uh this killer and he runs into interference from you know the american empire's uh, representatives that are there to also capture the guy and you know he's working with Togusa to capture this guy and he is just enraged the, the cool thing about the episode is it reminds me a lot about uh it reminds me a lot of uh, a movie that came out in the late 90s called strange days where you have a killer who jacks into the minds of the people who he kills and envisions them dying as he's killing them and that's what this killer did no, Angela when Bassett he, is a limo driver though. there you go <laughs> he would um he would he would cyberly um connect to these women at the same uh, so they could watch him skin uh, t- take off their skin like he was take like he was cutting on an imprint of a, tel- a, a TV no, I thought sorry a, um, a t-shirt off of their skin basically and he would like you know skin these women and then hang up their skin like it was a t-shirt and that would be his, the mark of his uh, of his slaughter of them and he would just target these women and it was just it was pretty grisly but uh, I love the way it ends I love the fact that uh, uh, but Bato 
he, when he um, chases after this guy, he's so enraged. You think he's going to kill the guy, but he ends up not killing him um, because, you know, he's, he's, it shows that he's gotten past the horrors of that war. But at the same time, some of it still haunts him. And it, it's just a very introspective episode with him. Um, the, most of the most of the standalone episodes with Bato are good, but I'll, I'll let you guys get into the other ones. But any any particular thoughts on that episode, too, at all for Jungle Cruise? It's just a good episode showing uh, Bato's background because, um, you know, a lot of police procedural bleh, police procedural shows these mm-hmm. days kind of go with um, the law and order route of, yeah. uh, you know, sort of not making the characters be actual characters. They're just, you know, archetypes and, you know, carbon copies that can all just be cut and replaced by anybody else. Yeah. Because, as you know, law and order, its big thing was it focused on the crime and not the investigators. Exactly. So you really didn't have any continuing storylines. You never really learned anything about the character's background, whether it's the cops or the DAs, and they never really grew in any sort of way. They were just there doing their job day in and day out, which was a unique thing when it was done, but it's sort of become the norm now, and mm-hmm. recently I've seen some shows are kind of moving away from that. Yeah, Even Law yeah. & Order itself was kind of moving away from that for a bit with its, some of its spinoffs, right. but what I like about these standalone episodes is the fact that they don't do that. It's not just about these people doing their jobs. You know What they do, it intertwines with their pasts because mm-hmm. all of these characters in Section 9, most of them are ex-military, and they all have complicated pasts that precede you know, being high-level government operatives. They certainly do. So it shows a lot of light on their background, and you know you get to see them in different situations from just you know pursuing the bad guy, and and that's it. You know it affects them in personal ways, like this thing with Bato, and you know some of the things you see with other characters. No. For you, Nier, were there any uh, standout standalone episodes? I'm trying to think. Is the one with um, and like you know, unfortunately, I didn't rewatch uh, the series uh, beforehand, but I had seen it plenty of times. But sometimes Second Gate kind of runs in there. But the <laughs> one where um, the major visits the woman in the little antique store is that in that's in first. That's gig? Uh, second gig. Okay. Oh. Um. Then yeah. Okay. This. The one with Bato is probably the the one that kind of stands out the most because he is, you know, he is that kind of secondary character, kind of the secondary main character to an extent, and um, you know, he's just he's just very interesting because he's 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 kind of that justified character with the with the honor code, and you know, he he's it's not above him to kill someone, and it's not above him to do you know some bad things to people, but. Sometimes he, um, you know, his his code of honor and, and how he kind of thinks of things, um, you know, kind of prevents him and kind of keeps him from doing, uh, you know, doing something that really, you know, he he would really be justified in doing. Like if he sat there and killed that guy, that would have been no problem. Ooh. I mean, it would have been like, you know. You're right there the as the audience. It. But it, it was better that, you know, he, he figured out I'm not in the war anymore. I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a police officer or I'm a detective or an agent and um we got to use um we got to use the law now and even though this guy does deserve to die it's 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 only right to give the victims families and and you know the, the the code of law the ability to put this guy away so um another one for me that uh, really stood out and this one was one with uh, another one bato was the one where um he has to go undercover yeah to, um check out uh this guy who's suspected of uh, oh the boxing one yeah yeah, and and they become friends, and he kind of becomes friends with the guy's wife, and you know he wants this guy to not 
be the guy, but it is. Yeah. Um, also, one that really stood out for me for being very different from even from the rest of the standalones or even the complexes is the one where uh, the major and Aramaki go to London. Oh yeah. And yeah. he gets caught in a mafia bank robbery. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that one really stood out because you know he's on the inside and Kusanagi's on the outside, and he's with these mafia guys who have you know itchy trigger fingers. He's got no backup. No technology, you know. He's only surviving by, you know, his by his supreme wits. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. And, and, and it's, his expert ability of manipulating people. And and it's awesome too because you get to see something where the technology, you know, it's because let, let's be honest. Throughout, they're they're able to apprehend people and to solve some of these things because of the technology available to them. But it was kind of cool to see that. Yeah, none of this stuff is available to him. But you know, he's still such a, a you know. He still got such great smarts and such great experience from dealing with the, you know, dealing with people for so long that he's able to, uh, you know, say, okay, I don't have my normal technology that's available to me, but I'm still going to try to save these people and save myself and uh, yeah. get these guys caught. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very low tech episode because yeah. you know Aramaki, he's maybe what in his sixties, mm-hmm. yeah. so you know, and Ghost in the Shell uh, takes place in 2030, so he was probably, you know the age that we are now, if not a little older, so he comes from before mm. this era of mass technology. So unlike a lot of people um, in, this, uh, in this setting you know, who just absolutely rely on their technology completely and that can be a liability for them, he can still survive without the technology. You know, yeah. He has his experience, he has his skills you know, that come from a very different era than what is the present of that show. Yeah. yeah. And also in that episode, uh, you see kind of like a hint of uh, a romantic connection between him and his friend. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So you sort of see that like it, they don't really tell you too much, but it's enough to get the impression that you know there was maybe there was kind of something going on with them before, but it didn't work out, or maybe they they both had feelings for each other but never did anything about it, and you just kind of see that sort of lingering sentiment there. The distance thing probably was the issue too. Chibi Hayachi's pimp hand was still strong. <laughs> Plus, of course, you know, Aramaki is a guy who I think could be accurately described as a workaholic. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. this guy is his job. He lives at his job. That's, that's where he, like, you can see that he really enjoys what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, manipulating politicians and trying to always turn around a bad situation to work in his favor or, you know, the dedication he has for his team of trying to get them out of a pickle. So that was a good standalone one. Another one, in part, that appealed to me was the episode that started off with a Tachikoma escape. Yeah, I was gonna bring yeah. that up. The, uh, the it's almost like two fifteen, two two um, short episodes put together, and yeah. they have a, a connection. But go ahead. And the the second half for me didn't really appeal as much. Oh, I really liked the whole story of the Tachikoma yeah. and this girl, you know, searching for her lost dog. Although later on, you discover that the dog was dead. Yeah, and she knew about it, but she just was in denial. Mm-hmm. It was just really like just a really touching and heartwarming episode, and I think it would have worked being the whole episode yeah. rather than the second half, which was it found this weird brain in a box, and then Kusanagi yeah. has to go after it. I, I, I found it like at the at the flea market or something, right? <laughs> flea, yeah, where the director's brain was in the box, and he, um, I guess he had come in contact with many different people along the way, pre- presenting them his movie, his 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 idea for a movie. I guess he never got to create that he perfectly could envision in his mind to show people, and it was so good that the people who you know 
you know, connected to that box to see it, decided not to leave. And it, it goes to show that, you know, it, it kind of introduces the concept of, you know, even though the people, I guess, who fell victim to this ended up, their bodies ended up dying or going into atrophy or whatnot, they still live inside that box with him viewing that movie. So they found kind of an immortality and they found, you know, infinite happiness, almost like a heaven almost. I think um, that could have been a good episode on its own as well, rather than just, yeah, you breaking know, just it up two like things that. being slapped together. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so, and, and I like the fact you brought up the Tachikomas because they kind of add a narrative to the show. And, and and this is also present in the manga too because in, in the original movie the Tachikomas weren't that personified at all. They were, I don't. They were more. Well, they, they weren't even. They weren't even in the original movie. Yeah. That, yeah. That, exactly. They're, I not mean, in, they're not in. I, you see, you see a you see a spider tank, but um, Kusuna, uh, uh the major fights against it, so it's not really a Tachikoma. But it, in the um, in the TV show, they're there and they're very childlike, and they are exactly the same way in the manga. And you know, they add, they they introduce discussion that just goes to show that they're evolving as as AI and the fact that um that artificial intelligence has come a long way in that era era and. I, I, I just I love the I love the Tachikomas and and what they introduced to the series and these standalone what episodes kind of show to the series. Well, they introduce like because you keep talking, I don't know what you. Well, no, what do they What do they bring? They're they characters that are you know that that I'm sorry, uh, maybe I lost my train of thought, but I always like those characters because they're so innocent and yet you know they're developing as characters because they're experiencing the world and they're trying to relate themselves to the world and you know you, you kind of get to be the audience with them sometimes when they when they go through situations and when they have those discussions and those back and forths it's just it's always interesting to me to 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 to, to see those those discussions play out some people think they're the slowest parts of the show but i i've always liked the tachiko comas and and the, and what they represent you know just the the innocence that might be lost in that world but uh, that's just me talking. It is just you talking. There you go. <laughs> um, for me, another episode to wrap up the standalone part. Go ahead. An episode that isn't a fantastic episode. It's a good episode, but mm-hmm. uh, one that's pretty strong in developing the world itself rather than the characters mm-hmm. is the episode where the, um, I think it was the Canadian ambassador's son is on the run with a uh, a sexeroid. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like obsessed with this sex bot. And treated it like if it was like his real human girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. and uh, he had put a virus in to like kill all the other sex bots because he wanted his to be the only one and be unique like a real person. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty solid episode, but uh, you know, it illustrates how much this world has changed and how interdependent we've become on technology to the point that you know you have people developing these very deep emotional attachments to machines, and it really blurs the line between human and machine given that you have these characters like Kusanagi and Bato who are full body cyborgs right you know at what li- at what point do you can you draw the distinction between a pure flesh and blood human you know a human brain inside a cyborg body and you know a full android that's ne- was never human to begin with can you even make that distinction anymore in this world and you know a lot of times you can't yeah it sort of all become the same so that episode was really good for, you know, just sort of showing this uh, supreme future of massive technology at every level. Yeah. And I find it ironic, like a couple years after this um, show finishes up, that the Japanese scientists release that there is a, a sci- kind of a sex bot that they made. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, the thing about what's interesting about this show is that, you know, we talked about this a little bit, um, well, quite a bit when we did the first movie that uh you know it was so predictive of a future where we would be very dependent upon technology Mm -hmm. and look at how we are now 15 years later 
Yeah. But when that movie came out, it was at the very early onset of people starting to use the internet on a mass level across the world. Mm-hmm. And then by the time this show came around uh, seven years later, the internet had become much more every you know omnipresent than it had been. And now, eight years after this TV show, it's even more in our lives. I mean, just think yeah. about it that at the time this show was produced, there was no Facebook, yeah. no MySpace, no Twitter, no YouTube. Yep. You know, it's become, it just becomes more ingrained in our daily lives mm-hmm. by the minute. Yeah, pretty, so, pretty much so. People, people will forsake television and, and other services, but if you take away the Internet, they, have, they lose their minds. And which comes, I discovered just this last <laughs> weekend. As someone who works for an ISP, I, I, I talk to people every day that, you know, it's like, forget my television, just get my Internet working. <laughs> <laughs> I've got too much and we're to just, do. We're just <laughs> creeping closer to that Ghost in the Show world day yeah. by day. I mean, we're really not that far off, I don't think, from the level of you know people starting to integrate technology into their own bodies. I mean, we already have had things like pacemakers around for years and years, but eventually people are going to start you know putting things inside their body to you know whether it's artificial organs or you know devices to manage organs or whatever sort of thing. You know, eventually we're going to be, I think, pretty close to the level that we see in Ghost in the Show. Maybe not at the same level by 2030, but I can only imagine that 20 years from now will be a um, very different place than we are now. Because yeah. who would have thought 20 years ago would be where we are today? Well, the prosthetics are already there. It's just that they're not cost effective yet. So, <laughs> and, and and they're just prosthetics that don't really do anything. They're just yeah. there for like you know balance and appearance they're not like fully articulated things that you can use as if they were no they do i think they do have some now that are starting to to be able to mimic a lot of motion but there yeah. there are some that can do that but they're very rough they're not like yeah not like uh you know like luke skywalker just attaching a robot yeah. hand <laughs> it's exactly the same and it's the same size and it looks the same they're very yeah. crude yeah you know sort of um metallic arms i've, I've seen them but they're they're in a very infant State of their which is anyway. kind of which is kind of cool within the show. You that's yeah. another thing that you see throughout all the. Um, doesn't matter if it's standalone or a complex episode. You'll see sometimes the old versus new people when it comes to the cybernetic enhancements that yeah. you know, especially because of the war, some of those guys received prosthetics either because of injuries or because of being a fighter and or being a soldier. And uh, you'll see that a lot of times where you know, like the major. Every once in a while, the very peculiar thing where uh, some people don't even like bodies anymore. Yeah, like the Megatech CEO. And yeah, and and they just have like a little brain in a box with wheels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you see some of these people like like wheeling around on the street. You know, there's a shot in Standalone Complex where someone's one of these little dudes is just in a crosswalk, just moving along like you know it's no problem. (laughs) It's just a box in a it's a brain in a box with wheels attached to it. Yep. Exactly. Very strange stuff. Anyway, moving on to the complex episodes. Uh, these are all, as I mentioned, uh, an interconnected storyline. It's all about a uh, famous case known as the Laughing Man case, right? which involved um, six years prior to the show starting, the, uh, the CEO of uh, a biotech company called Serrano Genomics. He was kidnapped and held at gunpoint by a master hacker who was later dubbed the laughing man and it kind of went away and there were a lot of copycats over the years but eventually the whole laughing man thing faded from the public view until uh togusa hears from an old friend who he used to work with when he was a detective that there's some weird stuff going on in this task force that has still been investigating this case even six years later wow 
And it starts off with um, you know all these task members, task force members having interceptors in their eyes, which basically are hidden cameras that record everything that they do from their perspective. Right. And it's illegal because you have to have um, you know it's paper like a wiretap. Wire it's yes. like a wiretap. It's like a video wiretap that's inside yeah. your eyes, mm-hmm. and it records everything that you see from your perspective. But there's procedures to follow, and this was not done. And uh, the guy who leaked this information to uh, Togusa was killed right before he was supposed to meet Togusa. Ooh, oh my god! Which you know gets the uh, the gears going of hey, you know, there's something still going on with this Laughing Man case. Mm-hmm. And throughout the season, uh, we see sometimes one episode that's complex. Sometimes they're two or three in a row, and then in the finale, it was like maybe three or four episodes in a row of complex episodes of this massive scandal involving political corruption you have uh corporate cover-ups and stuff yeah Yeah. cover-ups corporate crime corporate corporate crime biotech in the biotech industry cover-ups of um even market manipulation i think yeah yeah, there's talk of stock manipulation uh you have you know the um the cure for this condition called cyberbrain sclerosis being suppressed because the manufacturers of micro machines not the little race cars <laughs> they want their treatment to develop and they want that industry to develop even though the micro machines are yeah. proven to be completely ineffective compared to the Murai vaccine. Yeah. And you know there's this whole cover up because the very people who are suppressing the Murai vaccine are using, are it. using it themselves <laughs> because yeah. they have this condition. Yeah. So it's sort of an interesting combination of a lot of elements of things that are part of our world now. You know, we've how many times have we seen stock manipulation? How many times have we seen corporate fraud? How many times have we seen political corruption where you have, you know, government bodies that are suppressing treatments because of you know, somebody being paid off or okay. some kind of other political reason. What, in America? Uh, no way. <laughs> this last decade's been full of it. <laughs> yeah. All so, last, all, all, oh, all yeah. the last 20 or last 100 years, it's been that way. It's very so, true. Something that's been going on for years, just, just executed in different ways. But yeah. yeah, so for me, the genius of uh, the whole storyline that's used in The Laughing Man is that um, it takes all of these elements that we're familiar with that really don't have anything to do with technology, but then puts them in a setting where technology is very prevalent. Yeah, it actually makes um, it actually makes it where if you really strip away the te- technological part uh, parts of the show, it's not even a sci-fi show. Yeah, yeah it, could, it would just be a, a police show. I mean, yeah. you could have a police show where, say, you know, um, somebody developed a, an AIDS vaccine that worked, but it was being suppressed by the pharmaceutical industry because they had this other treatment they wanted to sell, even yeah. though it was ineffective, and they were willing to do anything to cover it up, including buying off politicians and exactly. killing people. Yep. So that's what works for me about this story. Um, any particular comments about complex episodes? I think that's why, um, just uh, just like the movie that this show's got a, and even when we talked about Firefly and, or actually Serenity too, is there's as many or maybe more people that aren't even into anime or uh, or uh, sci-fi stuff that are into these shows because it's got that, you know, like we said, you strip away all this stuff, you strip away all the the, the facade, and it's just a it's a police detective story, and um, you know. I think the Laughing Man was it, it's a it's a really interesting um, it, it's a really interesting storyline the way that they put it together it's you know of course it's social commentary in today's world and everything like that but the fact that um, you know 
especially towards the end when you see that the um you know see, you see the technology used a little bit more into like the episode where the major's in like the chat room for the whole uh the whole episode mm-hmm. and the other thing i like about this is the fact that they actually in the end they explain to you what the standalone complex is and all this other stuff you're just not kind of left hanging and there's or there's not some kind of you know bs kind of wimpy uh explanation like um you know know, god god did it or something like that (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah and 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 you know for such for such a for such a sometimes a very uh, a very verbal heavy show because you know there are some episodes especially during the laffy man uh saga that Mm -hmm. you know there's not a lot of action going on you know like i said that one when she's in the chat room they're just in it's just cyber it's it's just like virtual reality chat room that they just sit there and they just kind of they're just rapping about all this stuff, and um, you know it's very entertaining. But um, you know, it, it, I, I think it's good because it really took the sci-fi genre and just kind of gave it a little bit more respect, made it a little bit more respectable, and and um, you know, it, it just wasn't an easy out. You know, sometimes that you have with anime where they just kind of do what's hot or what's not, and um, you know, so but. Definitely, uh, definitely one of those things that was a uh, a great story, and you know, coping it, you know, uh, putting it with the uh, the standalone episodes, uh, it's just very entertaining, and and you sometimes you would think it wouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. So, go Solbro, ahead. Uh, comments on on the complex episodes. Um, I I, I loved them all. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I, I um reading the first volume of the uh, manga years ago, it I I, I like the complex episodes because they take actual unconnected stories from the manga and make them a part of the actual main plot of the Laughing Man story. Like one episode in particular is the uh in the forest of uh, Pupe, the one where uh, Togusa goes undercover and he has to go to that institution. That's actually in the manga as well. Is it's not it exactly the same adaptation but they took the core story of that and ran with it for that episode in uh, as a part of the uh, as a part of the laughing man story and there's other um, bits and pieces from the manga that you'll see in the main laughing man storyline and it just all all ends up being a a, 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 a a you know just a very well well written well developed and and just it transitions very well throughout the course of the series even though it's broken up um, throughout the course of the series as, as you had mentioned it it still transitions along even with the standalone episodes in between there's some things that are even introduced in the standalone episodes that are not directly connected to laughing man but but, you know, they pay off in Laughing Man, you know, when you get towards the end of the series. And, um, you know, just that, that, that whole conspiracy. And I, I love conspiracy movies and conspiracy stories. And, and, and Laughing Man, you know, that whole story arc is, is you know, this is that, that conspiracy behind it that just lets, gives you that feeling that you're treading on thin ice with Togusa and the rest of the gang as they investigate it and they run into the pitfalls that are going on there. And Laughing Man himself is a very interesting character because, you know, he's a total mystery until, you know, start to learn about him. And that episode that I mentioned, you you finally get to see who he is, although you're not 100% sure that he is the Laughing Man, but you, you do get to you, you get finally introduced to who the Laughing Man might be in that well, episode. Well, you, you kind of know by the end yeah. because when Togusa, you know, he does the, uh, the sketch mm-hmm. and he's like, look, here's the sketch that I drew. <laughs> and it's and it's the the laughing man logo. Yeah, which is it, what happened to everyone else who has been had their uh, memories hacked by the laughing man. They that's think right. they're drawing what they've seen, and all they draw is that cute little laughing man logo, <laughs> which looks great on the t-shirt, by the way. But <laughs> it does, it does, and um, 
Yeah, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the complex episodes mm-hmm. as a whole is that it really is kind of uh, Togusa's story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and because you know he is um, the rookie pretty much at the beginning. He's of the, the show. rookie, and he's one of he's one of my well, he's more of a rookie in the movie. Yeah, yeah. but um, what I really enjoy about him is that um, you know he was a cop. He wasn't military like uh, everyone else in Section Nine. Right, and um, aside from his cyber brain. He has no other modifications, so mm-hmm. he is the most human, you know, the most normal and sort of the most relatable to someone from our time period. And most grounded when it comes to yeah, and the most grounded because he has a fight and stuff. Kid. Yeah, he's you know, also he's a father, you know. He he has his job, but he's also dedicated to his family, so that makes him a little bit more relatable than you know full body cyborgs who have fought in dozens of you know conflicts across the world yep i mean he is a 20th century boy as well so he's kind of you know that he's got that old school vibe that aramaki has you know from aramaki has it from experience and growing up in that era but togusa you know not being born in that area kind of still desires to 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 hold something from that time and he kind of seems to me like a younger version aramaki in some ways he's kind of a traditionalist too to the point that he insists on using an old gun exactly (laughs) which you know uh the Major and, and Bato, they always make fun of him for doing that, but sometimes it works out to his benefit. In, in Japanese, he's voiced by the same guy who does the voice of Spike Spiegel, right? Koichi Yamadera? So. Yes, yeah. he is. Yep. And, um, you know, it's Bato, Togusa, you know, being the, least, the most low-tech guy, mm-hmm. you know, he's the one who started everything because he was contented by his buddy. You know, he's the one who pursued it when everyone else thought that, you know, there might not be much there. He's the one who had to use, you know, just good old gumshoe techniques of going undercover yep. inside that asylum and, you know, following the literally paper trail, mm-hmm. you know, of the Murai vaccine list, you know, to the point that he got shot over it. Exactly. And he was the one who really stuck it out and got the ball rolling for the Major and Batsu and everyone else to pull it through to the point where, you know, at the end, you know, they're made out to be the villains and they're set up and, you know, there's this huge battle of all of them being attacked, which was pretty, pretty well done. I mean, uh, I, I admit I was a, I had to be, I was a little sad when the, uh, the three Tachikomas, they sacrificed yeah. themselves to save Bato from the dude in the, uh, the power suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mr. Bato. But, 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 but it's okay when you <laughs> have that. Mr. Bato and his natural oil. <laughs> but it's okay, though, when you have that, uh, that orbiting, um, you know, external hard drive. So, yeah, but still, to, it's like you yeah. know, just the, the whole, you know, just the, the whole one cries an oil tear. Yeah, the, the the fact that they would put themselves on the line like that for him, you know, yeah, just none of them have any weapons, and yep. you know, they blow themselves up just to save Bato because and, you know, otherwise he would have been dead. They evolved yeah. from being machines to you know, just having their own individual personalities, and you know, they love Mister Bato. You know, they look at him as a father figure. And you know, throughout the course of the series, you see that relationship develop. You know that there's a one that, there's a one episode where um the whole natural oils come into play, and you know there's a big debate on that. And one of the I, I met, forgot to mention one of the one of the best moments in the series is when um both Bato and the major have that discussion, but yet not have the discussion yeah. about about having the tachikomas the, ending the tachikoma line or you know, like you know decommissioning the the whole tachikoma um aspect of you know section nine is like one of the most heartbreaking. Oh, to me it was a, it was a very sad end to that episode because you know where they were heading with that but for them to finally play such a role in those last episodes of the uh of the complex uh storyline you know just you know it, it was it was really cool to see and um i well and the fact that you know like you said chris the whole thing about um 
Toka says the only guy that has something outside of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bato is the only other one that has something too, because you know at the end of that episode he was visibly shaking the fact that they were going to have to decommission the uh, Tachikomas yeah. because as much as they yeah. love him, he loves them. He sure does. And um, it's funny because like I mean I guess one of the way kind of the things that wrap up this whole series is it shows how. As humans become more integrated with technology, they become more, more robotic. And as the robots become more, in, you know, are given the ability to possess human traits, they become more human. Yeah. So it, indeed, it's that, and you see that in the development of the Tachikomas because, yeah. you know, after they sacrifice themselves, you know, the major when she's talking to Bato, she's referencing that that conversation they had and her decision to decommission them. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she'd made a mistake. Yep. That she didn't she didn't have any clue. That you know they would all be able to develop individually to the point of even developing the ability for self-sacrifice. Yes, indeed. And I think it shakes them a little bit because you know and it, it does it, because she says that she wished she could have seen that sooner. Yeah, yeah. because I I think she starts to realize that she's losing her humanity, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and that's kind of the overall you know the overall story to an extent when it comes to her as um, as a character within the standalone complex. So. Mm-hmm. so. Not, I not, think at this. Go oh, ahead. Not only um and and just just uh, to add in the end, not only does this uh this series have one of the best penultimate episodes, but has one of the best wrap up episodes ever. With uh, I guess it's it's led by Togusa as he's you know trying to piece together the last bits and pieces of the whole Laughing Man case in the final episode of the series, and you know the fact that uh, and he's sec- about to do something really stupid. Yes, yes, and he, he thinks that Section Nine is pretty much kaput, and you know finally finds out at the end that you know it's all a facade and that they've unofficially been re you know re re. Oh my um, god, I can't believe you spoiled it for everyone. Oh my gosh. Well, oh you know, my god, eight someone, years. <laughs> somebody has to. <laughs> and, and he's and he's surprised to learn that you know it was all mm-hmm. Aramaki's setup to save everybody. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, I love that way that the previous episode ends with the major getting her head blown off. That it was like, wow, what a way, what a way to cliffhang everything <laughs> into the into the, uh, the into the final episode of uh, make fun of Bato. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Hold the like, <laughs> Let's play it again. <laughs> yeah. So I think. Um, we should just, uh, now that we're near the end, mm-hmm. spend a few minutes talking about the uh, compilation movie that was made. Right on. Called The Laughing Man. And um, it's a very long movie. It's about two and a half hours. And it pretty much stitches together all of the um, complex episodes, with some exceptions. The, uh, the chat room episode is not included at all, yeah. which is fine because it really wouldn't have worked mm-hmm. in a uh, compilation down. set. Yeah, so... There's no new animation. There's no new elements. Everything is pretty much the same. Uh, the only difference is that they use a few minutes of episode one as sort of an opening scene to establish things. Right. And right there, it's already intercut with the beginning of Togusa's investigation of his buddy sending him the photos and getting killed. Mm-hmm. That's the only like minor shuffling of events because uh, you know they need a little opening, so they did the thing of you know the. Uh, you know, the geishas uh, taking all those politicians, everyone hostage. And then right after that, it transitions into the Laughing Man story. It goes through all of, you know, the elements, you know, Togus's investigation, going undercover, um, the impersonators trying to uh, kill that one guy from the police. Oh, yeah. Togus's follow-up investigation with the Murai vaccine. Um, you know, the Laughing Man showing up with uh, Serrano. And then, you know, of course, you know, that whole 
last of episodes of you know the government going after Section Nine and everyone going to ground to expose everything and bring a conclusion to it. So one of the things that's notable about this movie and the second gig compilation is that when it was released here in America, they did not use the original dub cast. They for some reason used the Ocean Group. Oh. And I don't know why, but um, you know, I watched this movie uh, with the English dub, and it's it's a very good dub. You know, you've got uh, you know David Kay doing um, Bato. You got people like Brian Drummond. You know, a lot of these um, Ocean regulars, and it's mm-hmm. a good dub. The only thing is, it kind of sticks with you while you're watching it that it's not the people that you're used to. You know, if you're really used to, like I am, mm-hmm. Mary McGlynn, Richard Epcar, Crispin Freeman. You know, you really notice that these are not the same people. Yeah. If Ocean had dubbed the the uh, series from the get go, fine. Wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't even notice, but it's a noticeable uh, change because, in my opinion, Ghost in the Shell is one of those rare series where I like the dub just as much as the original Japanese version. I've watched yes, it indeed. both languages multiple times. Especially since Richard Epcar has been doing Bato since um since the first movie. You know, yeah. it, it, it's a noticeable change right there because you expect that voice to come out of him in English, and it's someone else. Not that you know, even even though he was he was played very well in the in the ocean dub. Yeah, David you know, K did a great job. Yeah, but it's just you know I've been used to Richard Epcar for a very long time. Oh yeah, you know, and I'm used to Crispin Freeman as as Togusa, so um, it's it's a little it takes a little while to get used to, but uh, it's it's a great dub regardless. And um, Neo, what did you think of this compilation movie as a whole? It's probably one of the best compilation movies I've ever seen, um, you know, because uh, I think we were talking off air about this is, and, you know, we said, it especially when it comes to Gundam, but even other, you know, shows that have compilation movies, the editing in this was just amazing because it didn't, there was no rough transition <laughs> or, you know, it just seemed like everything just flowed into even the parts with the whole geisha uh, house, even though that that's really kind of not the part of the the overall you know the storyline of the Laughing Man, but the way that they did it, it, it just worked out very well. And yeah, um, I, it I'll feels be honest like with, an actual movie. It feels I'll, like it was always a movie. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I think if you've never seen. Uh, the show, and you just watch the movie. Um, you know, at least you wouldn't get the benefit of the the standalone episodes, but you would pretty much know the Laughing Man saga and uh, understand it because um, you know they they just did a really really solid job of doing that. And like you said, the dub is good, but yeah, it, it is a little weird. And and you know, myself, I'm used to you know Togusa sounding that way. The the major uh, the Bateau. Uh even even the other supporting guys like uh, Ishikawa and uh, Saito and um, oh, what's the other guy? The guy that's always got the the squinty eyes. Uh, Pazu. <laughs> Pazu. Oh. Yeah. And, Pazu. and uh, Boma, the uh, the big guy. Yeah. The who who looks kind of like a, a boomer from uh, Life yeah. of Death. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> even though the even though those guys aren't, uh, especially Pazu and Boma and stuff, they're not that. They don't figure that prominent in this series. They mm. do in later series. In, in second, um, you know, it was still kind of weird to be used to that that English dub of them and you know hear them. And it's like, that's just wow, <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. It's not. It's not bad. It's just. No. It's just different. It takes some yeah. getting used to. So exactly. Yeah. And you can tell when you're watching sometimes a compilation thing, like if you're watching, say, the Gundam Seed compilations, because. <laughs> They have such rough editing, and they really don't make any sense on their own unless you've seen the series, the series. that they're edited from. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, you could watch The Laughing Man as just a movie, not ever have seen the TV show before it or after it, and you get the whole story. Yeah, pretty much. Which you is something that a lot of compilation films don't have because they don't have the time, you know. 
Yeah. Those mm-hmm. seed movies, you know, they're like, what, like 90 minutes each, where this is two and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's definitely a a, a high mark for this compilation movie, and I would definitely recommend either. You know, if mm-hmm. you can't if you can't um, afford the time or the money to plop down for the TV show, you could certainly watch the movie and get just as good of an experience, if not a complete experience. But I think right the, I think the TV show is pretty affordable now. I know when it first came yeah, out, it's on, it was like it's on pretty, Anime Legends now, yeah. so it's it's pretty cheap. I mean, I got it for like thirty bucks. So and, yeah, and for here. those and for those who have Netflix streaming, it's all on there all yeah, all of second and first gig are on there for streaming so you can watch them if you have it right now and um one i know one last thing i'd like to add about uh ghost is uh i've never oh, what were your thoughts on the laughing man movie what's that what were your thoughts on the laughing man movie um Soul that, that it's that 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 i'm sure it's as awesome as you guys are saying <laughs> oh that's right because you didn't watch it oh Ooh, aren't, aren't, well isn't, i've seen i've seen the tv and summer reruns so you shouldn't have you shouldn't be your DV, you should be on the dvr too much i'm not i'm busy editing the show Oh, please. <laughs> Whatever. Um, no, I just, I, I've never, I've never, in all my life, I've never run across so many people who have seen this show, not even as regular anime watchers, as you said, but have an affinity for the show, including my own father, who can't stand anime. He's flipped through the channels at midnight, at night, and he sees Ghost in the Shell, and the world stops. And I've met a lot of people, like, people will come up to me and say, man. You know, I can't stand anime, and I know you're big into it, but um, that goes in the shell. It's something else. You know, look at a random episode and just be completely locked in into seeing it. And 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 when it was airing on Adult Swim, I would get a lot of that. And and as suggesting, you know, this show to our listeners, you know, for those who have put off on watching it, or you know, have no interest in, you know this kind of anime give it a second shot uh it's not that you that you that you you know it's not your typical anime it's one of those rare gems out there no it's no it's not or it is your father's anime it's accessible to everyone even though it is a bit high high concept and you know it's hard science fiction man the characters and the storyline you know does it get the seal of approval it gets it it gets an unprecedented three seals Wait, did you already give three seals before no i've only i've only given two no you gave you gave three for firefly Fire? No, I gave two for Firefly. You gave it for Serenity. Yeah. No, I gave I gave one I just for Serenity. Heard the episode like the other day. I edited it. I can. I, you want me? You want me to go back and run, run the tape back? I will. <laughs> so what if I'm right? right? Okay, uh, what so if I'm right? <laughs> I, I give I it up. I'm pretty sure we've heard the the three soul bros. I have to. Have you? All right. Well, I'm sure one of our pretty listeners sure. can. Can't can call me to the carpet on that one, but well, you'll be corrected for being wrong as usual. As usual, three seals though, definitely. Nino, uh, any closing comments on uh, Sandalone Complex? I don't know how I can go beyond three seal, three solo seals, but <laughs> I, I would, if I was to use the old MHQ, three seal bros. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not fortunate enough to have my own rating system, so I just, hey, I just borrow the MHQ one. Courtesy of uh, Chris Guanche, the Neo Incorporated. The, the Neo um, Salute, man. Yeah, the Neo Salute's more for like uh, people, I other guess. Things. Yeah, that's well, for that's for listeners. And well, stuff, you can salute production IG then. There you mm, go. Maybe not. Not. Oh. They're, sometimes <laughs> they're not consistent. So, but um, with Ghost in the Show, they have man. Can I do my thing? Well, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, on the MHQ scale, I, this would be a rare five for me um, for both the series and the Laughing Man movie. And basically for all the things that we said, um, you know, and I think that like we also stated, I think the reason why that we have so many people uh, that aren't anime watchers that enjoy it is because in the end, it really isn't an anime or a sci-fi story. So, uh, and it, you know, it's just, it's got that, it's just got that stuff as uh, the facade. And, um, you know, if you haven't seen it, you know, go, you know, watch it. And I'll be honest with you. This is one of the few that you don't have to review 
the um, the videos before you buy it. You could just go buy this yeah. and and rest it's assured. It's a perfect blind buy. Yeah, rest assured. There's no buyer's remorse on this. So, Chris. So in, in closing, uh, great direction by Kenji Kamiyama, both in uh, this series, the second season, and the uh, Solid State Society movie. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one of the common complaints I heard about the first movie was that it was too short. So this series takes all those elements of the movie that worked. And it gives you all the time in the world to expand on them. And um, overall, is a better package. You know, in the movie, uh, the major, at that point in her life, she was kind of cold and distant because she was questioning her own humanity. Mm-hmm. But here in this show, the major, aside from being way hotter, uh, <laughs> is also a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. You know, she's not as, like, uptight, uptight and, and serious as she was in the movie, so that makes for a better show because she's the main character. Yep. And you don't want someone who's so uptight and serious all the time. So, you know, she, she can, you know, she can, uh, you know, be a little more on the light side every once in a while on a TV show, and, and it's appreciated because if she were the way she were in uh, the movie, it would make for a bit of a duller experience. Yeah. So, um, as I probably said before, way back when we did our first lineup, our first roundup of uh, Ghost in the Shell, if you're a fan of you know sci-fi noir, things like Blade Runner or anything by William Gibson, you really do owe it to yourself to watch everything Ghost in the Shell, but particularly the TV series, if anything. Mm-hmm. So with that said, we're going to uh, wrap up this segment. And um, since this is not a recurring segment like our previous spotlights, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Ghost in the Shell again in a few more episodes. We don't exactly know when. It just sort of comes up when it comes up. But uh, the next time you can look forward to hearing us talk about the second season uh, known as Second Gig. So we'll be right back. You've been listening to Gundam at MAHQ. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from the back seat, I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy! Not now, goddammit! This episode of Gundam is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Right now they're offering special discounts to our listeners. Just simply go to GoDaddy.com and use the code GUN8 for 10% off any order not already discounted. GUN9 for $5 off purchases that are $30 or more on any items not already discounted. .com domain names are as low as $749 if you use the code GUN10. And last but not least, code 20H1 for 20% off hosting plans. For more information, you can go to gundam.net and click on the GoDaddy link in the Sponsors and Special Offers section. Don't wait too long. The domain name you've always wanted might be claimed by someone else before you know it. Register with GoDaddy.com today. Let us do no such Gundam thing. This is Dale reporting for Gundam at MHQ.net with a Comic-Con wrap-up. On Wednesday, the preview night of the convention, Tanya and I just hit up the booths, and I'll tell you a little bit about those. One of the coolest ones was the Tron booth, which was decorated like a giant recognizer. 
pretty much had hundreds of people in line for two special exclusive toys, which one was a die-cast light cycle, the other one was a giant Tron figure holding a disc. And they ran out of the Tron figure, but I was able to get two light cycle figures, which actually was pretty cool. Uh, they changed up the figure models each day, so they only had 200 of each one per day. And after that, we hit up the Bandai booth, which was decorated with all sorts of Gundam models from all the different shows. Um, after that, we went around and kind of used the last hour, because preview night was only from 6 to 9 p.m., just to get the schedules from the individual booths for their convention materials, uh, pick up some flyers, and basically just call in a night so we can wake up super early in line for the giant Tron panel the next day. On Thursday was the big Tron panel, so Tanya and I woke up about 6 a.m. so we can get in line before 7 before the buses arrived. Luckily, we were in walking distance, so we could beat most of the people there. Um, the first panel of the morning was Megamind, which is an animated superhero movie with Brad Pitt and Will Ferrell and Tina Fey. Uh, nobody knew if Brad Pitt was going to come, because Angelina Jolie was confirmed, but Brad Pitt we didn't know. Uh, actually ended up being a cardboard cutout of him attending, which was pretty funny. And Tina Fey held that in her lap during the entire panel. And Will Ferrell was actually dressed in full makeup as the character of Megamind, complete with blue heat. He said it was spray paint. <laughs> he said he applied it in the bathroom right before the panel himself, and it was he was a riot just to watch. Um, after Megamind was the much-anticipated Tron Legacy panel. And for that, they really surprised us by showing almost 10 minutes of new footage. And a lot of that's online already, but let me tell you, it was really interesting to see that in HD in person. And this movie, I mean, it's probably going to be the biggest movie of the year when it comes out in December. They did a little special of some audience interaction. Um, they asked us to record some pre-recorded chants that they are going to use in some stadium scenes. So they had us chant some words that were on the screen. They had us stomp on the ground, and they said if it turns out clear enough, which I think it probably did, we did pretty well, they're actually going to add that into the film. And after Tron Legacy was the salt panel with Angelina Jolie. And she was actually pretty down to earth, and she answered a lot of questions. And it was really kind of interesting to see that. And it looks like a pretty good movie. If you haven't seen it already, I definitely recommend it. After Salt, Guillermo del Toro came out, which was a surprise, because he wasn't on the schedule, and announced that he will be doing a Haunted Mansion movie based off the Disney ride. And he's actually taking it to be as authentic as possible by meeting with the Imagineers from the actual ride you know, that was constructed at Disney. And that will be out probably at least two years away. It doesn't even sound like it's in the pre-production stage yet. But that was a nice surprise. After that, we got a big surprise with a recorded announcement from Johnny Depp announcing his return for the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And it was a special recorded announcement just for Comic-Con. And after that, we left the panel room and went to get the Big Bang Theory autograph session in line for that. And that was a nightmare. There was an enormous crowd gathered around the booth, probably an hour and a half before the signing was scheduled to begin. The signings at Comic-Con, if you've never been, are mostly on a first-come, first-served basis for the booth signings. So basically, everybody hides around the corner and forms an unofficial line until about 30 minutes before, and then just makes a mad dash. So what we did was, we waited outside in the overflow area, which is what they use if they have enough time left to get any extra people in. And luckily, they recognized us as the official line and gave us all stickers who were able to get in and get the Big Bang Theory autographs. And after that, we went back to the hotel and got ready for the machete party with Robert Rodriguez. And that was pretty cool.
vehicle, he actually had an off-site parking garage, which he turned into a giant, you know, movie screen and party and taco truck, and he was serving free food, free drinks, and it was quite a wait to get in. But once we got in, it was it was quite an experience. They were showing extended clips from the movie, introduced by Michelle Rodriguez and Danny Trejo and Robert Rodriguez himself. And after that, we were exhausted and and retired for the night. For Friday. It wasn't so much a panels day as it was a signings day. There weren't really very many interesting panels, so Tanya and I decided to hit up all the big signings at the booths and otherwise. So we got in line for the dealer's room, because most of the booths have ticket drawings in the morning for the ones that allow numbered lines instead of, you know, first come, first serve. So we got in line about 7 a.m., and we're surprised when they were doing some line drawings before getting into the dealer's room. They had a wristband drawing for Guillermo del Toro and the Priest movie starring Paul Bettany and Carl Urban. I don't know if everybody hadn't had their caffeine yet, but nobody wanted to participate in the drawings. So Tanya and I were very, very surprised to get wristbands for both signings very easily. We were able just to go through the line several times until we picked a winning sticker. Um, after that, we entered the mayhem at the Fox booth which instead of last year orderly handing out tickets for signings, they basically just threw them out into a mob. So the tallest people and the strongest people pushed away the smaller and weaker people to get pretty much all the tickets. I heard that they were even ripping them out of people's hands. So that was an absolute nightmare. Um, after that, we were kind of disappointed. So I walked around a little bit. Uh, we knew Seth Green was signing at the Creation uh, Entertainment Earth booth. So we waited around for him at 11 a.m., and that was very cool. We bought one of the robot chicken toys, and he signed that for us. And the other creator, Matt Sendrick, was there. We posed for a picture. Uh, after that, we went to grab some lunch and came back on a tip that we heard about the Fox booth that they would also have an overflow line. So we came back and lined up at the very back of the ticket holders, and luckily that paid off. We were able to get into the bone signing with David Boreanis just by standing in line behind the ticket people. They let about 10 extra people in. And after that, we had to go to our wristband signings that I mentioned earlier for the Priest movie and Guillermo del Toro, so we got both of those. It was very cool meeting Paul Bettany and Carl Urban, as well as del Toro. And after that was probably the biggest thing of the night, and we didn't really expect it. Uh, earlier in the day, we had entered a contest on our cell phones for the point application which was basically we received a flyer walking around the convention that said, hey, install this application, which is a local search engine, and look up this zip code, and you'll find a link for a contest. Go ahead and enter it. We didn't think anything of it. So around 6 o'clock at night, Tanya got a call that we had won tickets to a party. So we didn't really know what kind of party it was, so we reported to collect the tickets and found out it was the biggest party of the whole convention. It was the Dusk Until Con party, which was primarily celebrities-only party along with some media and that was an absolute blast we got to hang out pretty much unrestricted access to the you know the, the various areas of the the club it was a very nice experience we actually ended up talking to Josh Whedon just by chance he needed an address to invite some other friends of his to the party so he actually after we started talking to him introduced ourselves he asked us for directions to the club to give his friends. I guess he was dropped off and didn't know how he got there. So that was kind of a memorable moment from the con. Um, next up would be Saturday with the giant panels for the Avengers movie, so stay tuned for that one. For Saturday, it was primarily a panels day. This was the big day with all of the superhero panels, and we started out in the morning trying to see if we were going to go to the Green Lantern panel. 
So we decided against that and instead went to a drawing for an autograph for the Captain America movie. And it ended up being pretty crazy. Uh, the Marvel booth, by the way, was decorated with a giant Thor golden throne. It was probably the coolest booth I saw in the whole convention. Um, the drawing was very limited. Although we did get the draw, uh, we didn't end up getting one. We did get an autograph from Peter David as a consolation prize. That was okay. So after that, being as we missed the, the line for Green Lantern, which was a, actually was way around the block, we probably wouldn't have made it in anyway, we went and saw the panel for the, the Family Guy show with Seth MacFarlane and, of course, Seth Green. And that was actually pretty entertaining. We had Seth MacFarlane actually sing a live rendition of Down Syndrome Girl on stage. And I tell you, it was so good, it sounded like it was pre-recorded. And the Cleveland show cast was very entertaining. They were, I mean, they had us rolling in our seats. It was hilarious just to watch them. So being that after that, it was starting to get kind of later in the day after lunchtime, we knew the Avengers line was going to start piling up for that big panel. So we went ahead and just got online super early for that and ended up sitting through some other panels in the Hall H, which one of which was Resident Evil, Apocalypse, and that they've actually incorporated a lot of the elements from the video games in that. If you've played Resident Evil 5, you've seen the Executioner with the axe. I mean, they have that, some of the exact fight scenes from the game. Even the director, Paul Anderson, said he's incorporating some of the scenes shot for shot from the game into the movie. Um, after that was an animated movie called Paul, which is with Seth Rogen, and it involves an alien from outer space. Uh, nothing too memorable about that, but after that movie was something very memorable, and something that did make the national news happen about four rows behind us. That was somebody that was saving a seat for a friend, got into an argument with somebody else who wanted the seat, and one ended up stabbing the other near the eye with a pen. Although in the news media it got reported as somebody stabbing somebody in the eye with a pen. Uh, that pretty much stopped the convention for about an hour. They had to rerun some movie trailers in the meantime. The audience was getting super rowdy, but they had about 20 cops come in and handcuff the guy. He had a bloody Harry Potter t-shirt on, which he had, I think, just gotten the same day at the Harry Potter panel. So it was unfortunate for Harry Potter and their promotion to get that kind of uh, media exposure. Now, once that finally calmed down, we got to see the Cowboys and Aliens panel which was a humongous surprise because we thought that John Favreau, the director, was going to be the only one attending. And he brought out Daniel Craig, and after that, which brought her by to their feet, was Harrison Ford in his first ever convention appearance. And they actually brought him out in handcuffs to make it seem like he was being drug out on stage, and it was, that was really something to see him there. I didn't expect it. And Cowboys and Aliens is still in the middle of filming, so they showed one scene, basically, that was completed with uh, an alien spaceship attacking a western town. It's literally exactly like the title says. It's cowboys and aliens all in the same movie. So after that concluded, we got to the big Marvel panels, the big three. The first of which was Thor, which they brought out Chris Hemsworth and the director Kenneth Branagh to show some uh, pretty complete footage, actually. Uh, this looks like a really big budget movie. And they've taken some elements throughout the different comic iterations of the character and incorporated them all. So, I mean, he has done his research on this, and it looks like it's going to be pretty good. I mean, the footage they showed got a pretty good audience reaction. Um, after Thor, they brought out uh, Chris Evans as Captain America. That got a big cheer from the audience. And they don't have as much complete of that, but they did show one scene that they recently filmed with Hugo Weaving. It didn't have Chris Evans in it at all, but it was a complete villain scene. 
Uh, no special effects have been added yet, but at the very end of that scene, they flashed a quick two-second clip of him throwing the shield, so you could see the costume. I think it was from a costume test, and it looks good. It looks like they've modernized it a little. It's not, you know, all spandex. It's a little bit more mil military. So after that, we had a little break, and although it was not on the schedule, everybody knew they were going to stage a big Avengers panel. So, you know, right when the lights came back on, we knew what was going to happen. And Robert Downey Jr. came on and, you know, introduced everybody else. They had Samuel L. Jackson. They had Scarlett Johansson. They had, I mean, the entire Avengers cast on stage at once. And director Joss Whedon was there. And that was, that was absolutely historic. Uh, of course, there was no footage yet to show. They haven't started filming the movie yet. But it was just amazing to see everybody on one stage together. Clearly, they're banking a lot into this movie. So it'll be interesting to see when they return next year, probably with some footage to show, uh, as far as how that looks. Sunday was the final day of the convention, and there wasn't as much going on on Sunday. So the first thing we did was hit up the line drawing for Anthony Stewart Head, a.k.a. Giles from Buffy, his autographed ticket drawing. So once we got that, we went ahead and headed onto the SpongeBob panel just for fun, and that was actually pretty interesting. That was... The kids that asked the questions asked the most complex issues. I mean, for instance, one of them asked how many different models of fish do they have in, in the restaurant in SpongeBob. And they actually got an answer. It's over 100 that they have in the library for the models of the fish. And the voice acting was hilarious on that panel. Uh, they did a bunch of impressions. They showed some clips from a new episode. So after that, we went ahead and got in line for the castle panel with Nathan Fillion. And the line was out the door for that. They actually had that in a really small room, and everybody was confused because usually TV shows like that that are popular are in Ballroom 20, which holds about 4,000 people, but instead they had this in about half the size of a room. And we barely made it in. And on the way in, we were handed a water bottle, which we didn't think anything of, and we opened it up, and inside Tanya's said she'd won a ticket to a signing that wasn't even something we knew they were having for the show. So that was a pretty cool surprise. So during the castle panel, uh, Nathan Fillion is probably one of the most fan-friendly actors you'll ever see at a convention. He was giving every single person who asked a question something out of his bag, which as he was running out of stuff, he was signing one of his socks, a bag of Oreos, a lock of his hair, anything he could find and dig out of his bag he would give to people. And he wasn't just talking about castle, he was also talking about Firefly. I mean... You can ask him anything and he will answer. He's proud of his entire body of work. So after that panel, we went and did the signing with him. And after that, the final thing we did was go to the redemption room to pick up uh, some prizes we had. During the panels at Comic-Con, they hand out tickets sometimes. If you're an attendee, you can pick up later a t-shirt or other memorabilia they might give you. And we ran into a, a bunch of G.I. Joe cosplayers that were staging a Cobra party in the middle of Sunday afternoon. And everybody kept asking us if we were here for the Cobra Party, so that was kind of odd. So after we made it through the G.I. Joe group, we were able to pick up some t-shirts for, for Thor and the Cowboys and Aliens. And after that, it was a complete wrap until next year. Man walks down the street in that hat, people know he's not afraid of anything. Gun damn straight. Greetings, I am Andrew Cook, the host of Pretentious Internet Theater. Each month, I bring you the finest in literature 
that internet fan fiction has to offer. Join us, won't you? At tinyurl.com slash pitpodcast. Remember, there is much drama on the internet, but only the best makes pretentious internet theater. Damn you! I almost numbchucked you. You don't even realize. This segment of Gundam at MAHQ is brought to you by Petco. All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. And we're actually going to be introducing a new segment. And I don't know how reoccurring it's going to be, but it's gonna, it's definitely going to have uh, throughout, you know, throughout um, production, you know, when something really comes out to us. And um, instead of doing what you normally do and, and you recommend things that are good to watch, uh, we decided to go to a concept opposite of that and talk about things that are so bad that you really do need to watch these. And our new segment is called Anime Toilet. And really, there's no other way to kick off uh, the first segment of Anime Toilet than with one of the, which is pretty much universally regarded as one of the worst animes to ever be. Um, created and that's gonna uh, double o <laughs> <laughs> no that's just second season sorry oh, damn. um <laughs> that, that'll be the next anime toilet second season double o um actually it's going to be the first uh it's actually going to be uh, md geist one and it's sequel uh, md geist two which um is very bizarre that something so bad would have a sequel <laughs> but We'll get into that uh, later on in this segment. But uh, first, we'll, we'll hit off with Andy Geist, the first OVA. And um, the story's really just kind of there. Uh, the humans left the, our solar system to go colonize other planets. They're on this planet called Jera. Uh, there's a war between uh, the Nexum army and the regular army. And um, there's these big fights where the... Um, the the, the the Jaren army creates these soldiers called MDSs, which is the acronym for one of the stupidest things ever, most dangerous soldier. And uh, we see that these guys are... Oh, in- still dangerous, a soldier? <laughs> <laughs> and we see that these guys are, like, genetically enhanced, and they're, you know, above everybody, um, you know, physically and tactically and all this stuff. But then they're so dangerous that the army puts them into the... In- into the space capsules and puts them in orbit around the planet. And we see that this uh, story, this war is still kind of going on. Uh, now it's been replaced with these machines from the Nexum army and they're killing humans and stuff like that. And we see, um, you know, just gratuitous violence at the beginning here. And then some satellite comes down and this guy comes out of it and meets up with like this kind of Mad Max biker gang and some kills their leader and somewhat becomes their leader and has this chick via that's throwing herself at him but he <laughs> he doesn't all he wants is information and i don't want you hot naked woman get the away from me yeah. <laughs> and um he ends up having to get with this uh old general that put help put him in the satellite and they have to go deactivate the death force machines and they do it and then there's this kind of really lame horrible ending uh 
that's coupled with bad animation, and they think they can save a lot of things by using gratuitous violence. And uh, it's tell us what this amazing ending is. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yes, it, I, I think we've we've re- we've passed the statute of limitations on spoilers for 1986. Well, this ending just has to be discussed. <laughs> it can't. Be. Well, Geist, uh, he gets into this nice power armor and he fights down and he goes to what's called Brain Palace. And <laughs> yeah, it's 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 you know just just the names of things are, are you know you can, it's just bad on that end just by some of the things that they um um name these things and he faces a robot that was activated by the colonel and it's a really cheesy kind of (laughs) it's one of the worst like final battles you've ever seen because it's just like it's animated horribly uh it's laid out terribly and to be honest with you there's nothing really going on and um he um he finally succeeds in uh destroying this robot and um he um Avaya comes in, and instead of deactivating the Death Force, um, Geist reactivates it, and then it's unleashing all these machines that are going to kill the humans, and it's like the end. And then the Yeah. So, with that kind of brief synopsis of MD Geist 1, uh, I will go to Solbro first. Some of your thoughts on MD Geist 1. Well, you know, this is an anime classic, man. This is what defines an anime viewer when he watches it. You know, I'm bullshitting. <laughs> Classic crap, more like it. Well, no, it is, it is classic. Oh, in, man, in a, in a it weird is sense. classic yeah. garbage of the highest order. Let me tell you about the MD Geist, man. I'm sitting there watching this for the first time yesterday. Well, not really for the first time. I saw it way back in high school. Couldn't remember a thing from it. I must have blocked it out. I was like, <laughs> like, 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 blocked it like she did. Let's go with MD Geist 2. Hey, hey, don't I, spoil an MD Geist 2 yet. We'll get that to him dude, when we can. I must have blacked this out from when I watched it in 93, but uh, it's, if, if anything, um, it, uh, um, you know, it just, it, 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 it starts out, you know, you got that, that, that apocalypse, uh, you know, world where it's like, kind of like Mad Max, which they heavily, you know, kind of like Mad Max, uh, kind of like it, where they heavily bite from, Must you know, be someone's favorite movies. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It, you know, I'm, I'm getting a kind of a fist of the North Star vibe at first, you know, world's in ruin, you know, anarchy's going on, you know, all these, all this fighting's going on, and, you know, all these dudes with really bad outfits and haircuts. Yeah, it's like, it's got that 80s look, you know, I'm, bullets and, and, uh, <laughs> Jackets with torn sleeves. And mm-hmm. I'm feeling safety pin earrings. I'm feeling the slutty music. Slutty chicks. Slutty chicks, man. Naked, like naked within the first ten minutes. Freaking awesome. But you know, you know, I'm feeling the music. It's like, man, this could, this could be cool. This could be cool. Oh no, oh no, that mess ends Wait a quickly. Second. Feeling the music. <laughs> the music. The music's all right. That's like the only good thing I could say about it. Is like the soundtrack is not half bad. Um, other than that, oh. that's the only that is the only compliment I can give this series because the rest of it is total trash. Um, when you see the action scenes, they're uninspired. You got at least it's an OVA, so I expect a bit more animation when it comes to the action scenes. And all you see is like you these, expected too much in this case. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah, you know, you see these um, mechanized suits getting shot down. You know, they're just flying across. They look like cannon fodder to begin with. Guys getting shot up. You know, and unex- this unexplained dude um, who's apparently can get shot in the head and the bullet doesn't even permeate his skull <laughs> and yet he could kill these other and guys he just has a shit eating grin on his face oh, as yeah. he gets shot rocking that mullet too boy hardcore <laughs> and you know he just he's, he's a guy that is a complete sociopath you really don't f- get any connection with him he's just a badass for no reason 
um, you know, when you watch the show, you know, he's just he's just very um, what's the word? He's um, he's just very acidic and a total dick, even to that one girl who wants to use him. So you know, there's a I, there's a reason for him to be a total dick to her. But he could he could he could have got some of that ass, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have blamed him. But uh, apparently, exactly, <laughs> you know, he could have used her. But apparently, he's just more interested in killing than you know screwing. W- exactly. wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been easier to get the information that yeah. she has by just you know laying it to her? I was saying it's like once you just bone the bone the info out she'll of her, man. You know, she'll give you all the information. <laughs> She'd give it up, man. She's already maybe really, really, uh, he didn't want to reveal that these most dangerous soldiers. Uh, uh, like don't not, have cocks or something. I don't know. Not, not very dangerous in the bedroom, right? <laughs> no, apparently it was like, man, don't worry about them raping you because they're not going to. <laughs> they're not going to. But no, um, you know, he just doesn't make We're any kidding. sense. Yeah, and then you know he's using these guys as cannon fodder, his so-called allies. You know, he's using these guys and intimidating him. It, it just it, it didn't flow right. It was it was a complete muddled mess as you're watching it, and you just don't get into any of the action scenes at all. Especially in the conclusion when he's fighting against that um that that automated robot heavy that he's fighting against. You know, he's got he's like a end boss of a really bad video game, <laughs> and he's got three different forms. And MD Geist is somehow surviving the onslaught that he's laying upon him, and it's it's just uninspiring all the way it's 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 big dumb MD action guys, MD guys the guy that gets stabbed but he stops bleeding mm-hmm. yet everybody else that gets stabbed or something like that they actually start to bleed more <laughs> yeah <laughs> he heals from his his, his injuries very quickly apparently skin oh <sighs> And you know you feel for uh, the the what you like that general that you know well actually you know I was kind of conflicted because I didn't realize MD Geist was such a dick until you get to the very end where you know the I think it was pretty yeah. evident before then it, it was with the way he treated those guys but I didn't think he would take it to that level when after the you know the the general set him up for the fall I was kind of mad at the general because he seemed like a guy who was willing to fight for that cause but you know uh, you 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 realize how much of a sociopath MD Geist is at the very end when he um sets the death force in motion and death force sounds like just a bad Chuck Norris film title now <laughs> <laughs> it's like every time I hear had just he would have had just as bad of a mullet <laughs> if that was a Chuck Norris movie from the eighties. Exactly. Oh my god, dude! And, and it's like, wow, I was so upset with MD at that point. And it's like, go, this guy can go to hell. He can go straight to hell. It's like, I am, I can't. I'm, I'm through with this guy. I'm through with. I'm through he giving him chances. But the rest of the world did. Oh, it sure did. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's uh, pretty much my take on it. I, I he. Ugh. Chris, go ahead, man. I, I'm sure you could voice it more articulately than I can. <laughs> you know what's the real funny thing about this? The director's cut is an improvement over the original version. Yeah. That's what I watched was the director's According to cut. what I've read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think I've probably mentioned before that uh, MD Geist was one of the first anime that I watched way back when. Uh, let me paint you a picture. This was 1996. <laughs> and... Uh, I had rented Miami, it. 1996, Miami. <laughs> yes, it was Miami, hot. 1996. <laughs> um, I rented it on uh, VHS. Yeah. At that that uh, whatever that thing was, it was in English. It was from Blockbuster when right. their anime section consisted of like Ninja Ghost Scroll. in the Shell, <laughs> Ninja Scroll, Kira. MD Geist, and Fist of the North Star, Wicked City, <laughs> and Wicked City. <laughs> so. You know, I'd only had a very brief exposure to Amy before this, and when I watched this thing, it was so bad that it almost made me swear off of anime entirely at that moment. Damn. I believe it. I wonder how many people that had an effect on. (laughs) You know, sadly, there were probably lots of people who saw MD Geist and said, Mm. never again. Mm -hmm. That's horrible. 
So I, I don't know where I could start because there's just so much ridiculous nonsense in this series. Okay, number one, uh, if you create these like psychotic soldiers that you can't, con- you have no way of controlling them whatsoever. What's the point of that? Yeah. Number two, if they are so psychotic and crazy and and you can't do anything to control them, why would you put them on a space station? Indeed. Why would you keep them alive? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so the guy got shot in the head and it did nothing. Freaking set him on fire or <laughs> chop him up into a bunch of pieces, stick him into incinerator, something. Yeah. <laughs> Just mow him down with machine gun fire and then chop him up. Or hell, if you want to put him in a, if you want to put him in a, uh, a satellite, make it where you have a control, you know, you can control it to burn up in the atmosphere. Yeah, or just you know, do an endless waltz and send it into the sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something you could do something. Don't just freaking put the guy in into cold sleep in a satellite when he's gonna eventually get out of it because obviously that's what happens. Uh, number two, this whole brain palace thing, which uh, was a result of this war, and it was. Um, a fail-safe effort where, you know, if the regular army lost, this death force would be unleashed and then just start killing everybody, even their own people. What, what is the, why would you do that? It makes no sense. If you decide to lose the war, why would you decide that all of your people need to die too? Yeah. Why would just you put money the, into that? I mean, it makes I, sense. Who, who would approve this? I mean, yes, I know, like, this sort of happened in World War II, where at the end Hitler is like, you know, screw Germany and you failed me and you deserve to die. But he was a madman in control of this. Exactly. You know, this regular army on Jera, where would they ever get the approval for? Yeah, we're going to build all these, like, ginormous death robots, and in the event that we lose the war, um, you know, they're just going to kill everybody on the planet. Is that okay? Sure, I'll sign that. <laughs> the fact that they had a president that they got elected into office that okayed something like that, and the public didn't question it, not once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're cool with these uh, death machines just waiting to kill everybody, you know, on the life of this president who got assassinated. Exactly. So, uh, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> then you've got Geist himself as the character. And the thing you have to realize about Geist is, Geist is the villain. Yeah. And that in itself is not a bad idea. I mean, there have been times when, you know, the villain has been the main character, and it's cool. Oh. But it's not here, because Geist is just a completely emotionless, sociopathic unrelatable asshole there you go and he's just a killing machine he's not the justified villain yeah Yeah. you could compare him to other people who are killing machines like say uh chirico qv but chirico qv for as many people as he kills he's still a human yeah you know he still has a personality he still has you know a code of honor he doesn't just go around massacring everybody he only messes people who messes with him and he has people that he's devoted to and he protects he shows restraint he shows restraint, and, yeah. you know, he starts off as sort of this, you know, uh, traumatized soldier who's been through the horrors of war, but over the course of Votom, you know, he develops more of a personality and starts to slowly become more normal, mm-hmm. you know, as he makes friends and, you know, kind of falls in love with Fiana. But uh, Geist is just, from first minute to the last minute, just a complete and utter unlikable asshole. Man. There's nothing at all that makes you relate to him or sympathize with him or like him. And he could have been rough around the edges, but mm-hmm. you know, at least been something other than just a mindless killing machine. I mean, it's so bad because when he when he speaks, which is very rarely, it doesn't do anything. Like he's just like, you know, I just want the information in your head. Oh, I'll do it. You know, it's just like, okay. Yeah. Might as well be and the Terminator from the first movie. Actually, he had more personality. Kind of a low-rent knockoff. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. (laughs) And, um, you know, why 
why does he uh, want to release the Death Force? It's like he just feels like doing it to be a dick. I guess. I mean, I look at it. He wants the challenge of uh, of taking on a, a a a stronger enemy because he's so he's such a warrior, you know, in the sense that he just likes to kill, and it doesn't matter who his opponent is. This is going to change the game that he he considers war game. And you know, his his last quote is, you know, now you know the game is beginning or something like something like that. And I guess like, so, but it's still just ridiculous. It's just yeah. dumb. <laughs> and um, when it comes to the visuals, as has been mentioned, uh, the animation really sucks at some points. Oh my god! But two the visuals visual design itself it's so it's so badly apes fist of the north star oh. mad max mm. uh terminator i mean it's like it's like they just traced scenes from the future war of terminator you see oh, like yeah. you know flying hovercraft things shooting lasers and you know <laughs> entire battlefields of like just human skulls piled up everywhere yep. yeah. total paint by numbers yeah the visual design is just complete paint by numbers generic 80s post-apocalyptic anime and does nothing original in that regard. The only thing that's kind of cool at all is the uh, Phytech suits. Yeah. And particular uh, Geist's armor, which, of course, um, was the rather infamous mascot for uh, U.S. Manga Corps during its entire existence. And Listed as the company spokesmecha. Oh, and ma- amazing that um, U.S. Manga Corps is, what, out of business now? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about the, that angle some more since... Uh, since we mentioned this uh, before the segment. Preach. Well, bef- before we do that, let me just give my take on it real quick. Sure. Go for it. I agree with all the points that you said. I watched it many years ago, too, in, like in the mid-90s. Um, kind of like Soul Bro. I mean, I remember watching it, but I didn't really remember anything about it. And um, it, it, it's one of these things where um, when I rewatched it, I actually rewatched it in the English first, like I saw it originally, and then I rewatched it because it's short. It's like 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched it in J- Japanese because I'm like, you know, if I'm going to critique this... Maybe there might be might be some redeeming values in it. It might actually be better in in uh, in Japanese. No, yeah. it's not. <laughs> nope. But uh, after watching it twice, and those are the last two times I'll ever watch this show ever, um, two words popped into my head: unremarkable and generic. Because, like Chris stated, it was just like, oh hey, um, let's just trace out what's in the Terminator comics for uh, you know the apocalyptic uh, landscape. Um, you know, it's just. Everything's just—it's just unremarkable animation, unremarkable um, fight scenes, a story that is just—I don't even know what. I mean, it, I, you actually get more confused with all of the uh, text that they flash in the beginning, mm-hmm. where it's just like, okay, whatever. Um, characters that are just—I mean, even—I I, I guess to an, in a sense you're supposed to feel some, you know, like for Via and stuff, and it's just like. I could care less about her. There you go. Uh, they even screwed up animated boobs. Her boobs look terrible in this. They did, didn't and, they? And I mean, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna use gratuitous sex and gratuitous violence to, you know, sell your thing, at least make it where it's maybe shocking or it's memorable. Nothing of it was memorable. It's like, oh boy, this guy got cut in half. Wow. Hmm. Okay. But um, yeah, that I mean, those are just the two words that just popped in my head. But. Uh, Go ahead, Chris, with uh, your whole your whole talk about uh, U.S. Manga Corps and uh, the, the the spokes mecha MD Geist. <laughs> well, um, you know it's interesting that we're doing this segment because uh, on ANN there was a column called "Buried Treasure" that was uh, run by Justin Savakis, who uh, 
you know, he founded A and N, and then he went to work in the industry. He worked for uh, Central Park Media for a couple of years, Man. and then uh, went off to um, Imagination. And if anyone recalls, I interviewed him a few years ago when Imagination released Orgus. Awesome. Yeah, real nice guy. And eventually, he went back to work at A and N and started up this uh, buried treasure column, where you know, sort of spotlighting obscure anime that's well worth a watch. And then he also uh, kicked off a sub-series called Buried Garbage. And coincidentally, the first one he did was M.D. Geist. Yeah. So it's funny. If you go to the uh, Wikipedia entry for M.D. Geist, the link at the very bottom is the Buried Garbage article for M.D. Geist. That is awesome. That, that really provides a fascinating sort of behind-the-scenes look at the um, U.S. release of this series and the constant re-releases of it. Mm-hmm. And sort of paraphrasing... Um, Savakis' article, he talks about how um, the, uh, the founder of CPM, John O'Donnell, pretty much was obsessed with MD Geist and just loved it like it was like the greatest thing ever. And that um, when it came around to them doing their own DVD re-release of it after the original release was done by uh, Image Outsourced, right. that uh, this guy O'Donnell wanted to make this um, really elaborate special edition. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, for Justin and all these other CPM employees, they spent a couple of months just crawling over everything and anything they could find relating to MD guys to make this very elaborate special edition. Jeez. Even though it was this thing that was complete garbage. <laughs> oh. So, uh, as you read through this harrowing tale of, you know, of this, because, you know, it's bad enough just for us to watch it, but imagine if your job is working on this garbage every day. For weeks and months. Every on day end. for like a couple of months, yeah. you're living and breathing MD Geist. It I never mean, ends. I, I, I would, <laughs> I would kill myself. I'm surprised there weren't more suicides. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it could have happened. It could have yeah. a story in New York of you know, like mass suicide at anime company. <laughs> so, uh, what's interesting is that um, the extent to um, the obsession that O'Donnell had for uh, MD Geist, you know, he made MD Geist the company's spokesmecha, as I mentioned. Uh, Savakis mentioned that he had, like, a frickin' uh, vinyl of the show's opening theme that was really obscure. Uh, they had an American comic book adaptation made by Tim Eldred. Uh, CPM, they financed the director's cut that was made in 1996 to fix some of the problems with... Um, with the animation, That's which describes being things where, like, uh, from you know one shot to the next, people would be jumping around because um, you know the um, the cells weren't lined up properly when they were shot on oh. film. <laughs> people like are just suddenly from one frame to the next, jumping around the room, going from one position to the next. Which just sounds horrible. I mean, that's just ridiculously amateurish. And it should be noted that the staff who made this OAV were all in their early twenties and pretty much had no experience. But even then, you'd think you know. They could do better than that. Isn't there post-production? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, CPM, they funded the uh, creation of the uh, director's cut, which is, you know, what was released on um, VHS in 96 and what I watched and what was released on DVD. And they also uh, financed the production of um, MD Geist 2, which was released in 1996. And uh, from the looks of it, as we'll get to in a minute, uh, definitely it was financed on the cheap. Oh. So... <laughs> 
uh, I always wondered for so many years, why did CPM push Empty Geist so much when it was such a bad show and almost everyone I talk to thinks that it's a piece of shit? Well, now, now we know the inside story that it was, you know, the obsession of CPM's owner and, uh, well, as Paul, as Paul noted, CPM no longer exists. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else on MD Geist? Uh, I, my life is worse off for having watched MD Geist oh. part one three times. <laughs> okay. Soul Pro, anything else? No, I'm, I'm solid. For, forever now, forever, speak now or forever hold your peace. There's nothing more I could say. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing more I ever will say about the first MD Geist. This is it. Well, like Chris said, um, and this is, you know, I had heard about this a couple years ago, but I really didn't even, I never saw it until, you know, preparing for this segment was uh, MD Geist 2. And basically, in a nutshell with the story, um, and this is going to be even shorter than MD Geist 1, because uh, basically, um, it's a couple months or about a year or so after Geist activating the Death Force, you're seeing the you know the opening scenes, which we're going to have to kind of break this down a little bit too. <laughs> the opening of, of this, of this uh, OVA is showing these like kind of like spider type like centipede Insect type robots. robots just ripping people apart and eating them and eating them but this MD guys was so too was so low budget that they got stills in the beginning showing it and there was actually one and not just the beginning man yeah throughout but it, i mean in the beginning and, and what makes it so funny is even there's one there's one particular still of like this one like centipede robot having uh, flesh dripping from its mouth uh, against like a, 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 a you know a, a, disembod- a disembodied head and it, it's just it goes it shows up like about two or three two or three more times throughout the uh, <laughs> throughout throughout this OVA and it's just That's a massive like, span of forty five minutes. Oh my god. But you got this going on, of course, you know, just like MD Guys one, a gratuitous, uh, unremarkable uh, violence. Just, you know, to have violence. In stills. Uh, yeah, in stills. <laughs> Which uh, is and, the best kind of ultra-violence there is. And, and, and what's funny is they're like low-budget stills, too. It's not like these are like highly detailed stills. Some of these stills, it looks like they were probably completing them right upon adding them to film. <laughs> so, I mean, there's like no detail. Some of the coloring was off and everything. Uh, but Just shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> Uh, we find out that the remnants of the human populations in this kind of SDF-1 knockoff, uh, <laughs> that's, that ship looked like a knockoff. It looked like the poor man's... Uh, oh. It, it, it looked like it, the poor man's SDF-1. It was, it was SDF one. one that they found in space, but uh, didn't get to explore and then disappeared later. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's the um, SDF-3, right? <laughs> the one from Robotech. Um, That's where it ended up. <laughs> yeah, it ended up in the MD guys' world. And uh, we see that there be the, the remnants of the, uh, of the humans are being led and, and being protected by this guy, uh, Krauser, oh, which man. is, of course, a favorite... A, f- a favorite name for anything comes out of Japan. Kaiser Wave. V- via video games or anime or something like that. They definitely love that um, uh, that name. No, waiting for him to do the Blitzball. Uh, and unfortunately, this Krauser, or, you know, unfortunately, unlike the other Krausers, like Krauser II and Steve, people like that who, are, who actually are cool. And Wolfgang. Yeah. This guy's not cool. Uh, he's a real dandy. Um, and kind of crazy. And kind of crazy. With, with illusions a guy, of godhood. Yeah, with a god he's got delusions. And we find out that he is 
MD01. So it's like, <gasps> and he's got like some crazy doctor that's like keeping him alive because he's, I don't even and he's know. Blue. Yeah, he's blue and he's got some, you know, he's got some problem with his genetics and blah, 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 yada, yada. And <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, if they cared, they would have explained it a little bit more. But um, <laughs> I'm saying we don't care. <laughs> that too. But, um, we see that again. You know, Geist is out killing all these things, and he ends up uh, getting with, um, you know, meeting up with uh, Krauser. And uh, we see that Vaya now has amnesia, and she's, you know, at least Krauser's a man because at least he's getting it from her, no doubt. Um, and kind of to make a long story short, uh, Geyser's helped by this like weird cyborg hybrid guy um, <laughs> who. In one, in one, in one, uh, in, in one scene will be uh, completely dismembered, but in the next scene has everything back to him, and then the next scene again he's missing a limb again. So it's like, it's like, what's going on with this guy? And of course, with at like at the end of the uh, magnificent uh, MD Geist one, Krauser, Krauser uh, leads the uh, Death Force machines uh, over to this fortress as. They, um, as Krauser and some of the army uh, generals and officers have figured out a way of trying to destroy all these machines. And, um, you know, of course, we have mass violence and um, a pretty, a pretty, once again, a pretty uh, unremarkable end. (laughs) And uh, unfortunate. And then there's the big thing of it seems like everybody's been killed because this bomb finally goes off. It's supposed to incinerate stuff within like five kilometers. And of course they, because Geist is so crazy, he gets everybody in there too. And it's like, it happens big flash and we don't know what happened. And then we just see the end is Krauser's helmet from his, uh, his fight tech suit, the end. And, um, Chris, this time your thoughts. MD Geist 2. Ooh, man, I... Oh, I'm sorry. MD Geist 2 colon Death Force. What? <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, you know, when I saw MD Geist colon Director's Cut, yeah. I said to myself, self, could it possibly get any worse than this? And then myself said to me, well, Chris, it could because there's MD Geist 2 colon Death Force. Emphasis on colon. So... Um, <clears throat> I had not seen um, MD Guys 2 colon, get, colon Death Force mm-hmm. uh, until preparing for this segment, and um, I'm glad that this will be my first <laughs> and only exposure ever to MD Guys 2 colon Death Force. Oh, boy. Because uh, MD Guys 2 colon Death Force manages to do what I thought was not possible, which was to uh, outdo the original in terms of horror and, and um, you know, fail. And horror, and, and be specific with horror, not horror like horror, not horror like, like genre. Horror, just horror like yeah. horror. Yeah. Okay, so you know you got this story where at the beginning, you know, pretty much everybody's dead, and they're like you said in this SDF knockoff, and Krauser is their protector, and they think he's a savior, and he kind of lets it get to his head, mm-hmm. and he's kind of like crazy, but in comparison to Geist, yeah, he is the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> because he wants to save people, even though it's not for the best of reasons, yeah. because he thinks that he's a god, mm-hmm. and even though he's being used by the military who want to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, uh, think about Krauser is, in any other anime, he would be the villain. Yeah. Yes, indeed. But in this one, he's the hero, just because Geist is so much worse than he is. <laughs> Geist actually speaks less in this one than he did in the first yeah. one. So, uh, you got these robots that need to eat people for fuel. I don't really understand why that is. Yeah. It's just, it's very strange because 
you know, uh, when they showed some of the Death Force in the first one, they kind of look like giant centaur-type robots. Yeah. And they're like that in part two as well, but you also have these weird people-munching centipedes and spiders and things that look like cheap knockoffs of the spider slayers from Spider-Man. Yeah. And, you know, Geist gets brought into all this stuff, and then they start experimenting on him, this mad scientist. And then, for some reason, for this one scene, Geist is all, like, Weapon X-looking and starts eating people, which is just completely out of nowhere and never explained. Yeah. And then, like, uh, this uh, assistant guy, you mentioned this, like, cyborg dude who they constantly keep removing his arms and legs. For some reason, he decides to help Geist and helps him build a new suit of armor, a new uh, Phytech suit. Which is pretty cool looking because it's an upgraded version of his first one and it has wings so that it flies. Yeah. Which uh, results in him and Krauser having a, uh, an air duel. So, like you mentioned, you know, they have this uh, plan to lure all the Death Force to the city and blow up with a bomb. But then uh, Geist shows up and brings them all back to the SDF knockoff city. <laughs> so these things are just destroying everything. And then uh, Krauser and Geist are fighting and suddenly for some reason it switches to black and white. Yeah, and then uh, you know the fight ends, and um, and the Death Force pretty much just kills everybody. But you got these other plot elements like Vaya showing up for a few minutes here and there, completely wasted. Not that she did much in the first OAV, but now you know she uh, she becomes basically Crowther's bitch, mm-hmm. and she has complete amnesia from her time with Geist because it just drove her mad. And then when she finally does remember who Geist is, she just goes like <laughs> nuts. <laughs> to the point that uh, Krauser has her dragged off to like a jail cell because she's just totally batty. Yeah. She's like, oh, he's going to kill us all. <laughs> he's going to kill everyone. But he, then he does. <laughs> and then you hear like, uh, you know, er, like one mention of like these army guys like, oh, uh, if, we don't, uh, if we don't take care of, you know, this death force and retake the planet, uh, the Earth Federation's going to come and, you know, recolonize this planet and we don't want that. Where'd that come from? Yeah, where did generation <laughs> come from? And you know, you would think um, if there was a human colony on this planet and it was being uh, wiped out in a robot genocide, don't you think they would have sent maybe like uh, a distress signal to other human colonies, like, "Hey, can you give us a hand? We got these killer robots killing everybody." I'm sure if they once they Especially get done killing us. Federation. Yeah. But then these dumbasses who, like, whatever, they're so, like, uh, into their own thing that they wouldn't bother to think of asking the Earth Federation for help so that the population doesn't get exterminated. Yeah. What, what is the sense behind that? And for me, the, one of the worst things is this OAV from the mid-90s, which we mentioned was funded by CPM, um, it's just so cheap-looking. Yes. Even more than the 80s one, because there's so many scenes where it's nothing but just still shots, still shots, still shots. And when you see this overabundance of still shots, it's just the hallmark of a cheap production because, you know, they're cutting corners. Because they're not, not animated if they're showing, doing still shots. And not only still shots, but some reoccurring ones, which is just like... Yeah. Recycled still shots. That's the worst thing. I wonder if Fakuda was a big fan of MD Geist, too. <laughs> I would, I would not even knock him that way. I know. Ooh. I'm just joking. Yeah. So uh, that's that's my thoughts on MD Geist too. It's just something that didn't need to exist and clearly only existed because of one American man's obsession with you know a mediocre to terrible OAV from the 80s that nobody would have cared about otherwise. <laughs> Sobro? Man, I love the fact that in the Japanese credits, I think that's the only name that comes across in English. So you know who to blame. 
for this <laughs> atrocity that you just watched. And I was like, John O'Donnell, man. And it's like apparently I I've got I know I know now who um who I I know who to curse out if I ever see him at an anime convention. But man, yeah, watching watching Death Force, you know, the uh I I'd I'd be I'd be angry if I was Chuck Chuck Norris, by the way. <laughs> Because I wouldn't want anybody to to think you know have any kind of connection to Delta Force in any way, shape, or form when it comes to the you know the na- the name of this piece this of makes garbage. Delta Force look like Citizen Kane. Man, dude, Delta Force would be up for Oscar in, 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 in comparison to this piece of garbage. But yeah, I you know the the beginning got me because um what he did he practically I I think I think Geist was probably the mastermind of getting all those people killed in the beginning. He probably you know set everything up so that those 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 uh monsters would come and you know the death force would come and wipe those people out and then use one of these guys as bait to uh <laughs> to get his uh his nut off on killing some of the death force robots and you know he left that one guy alive which is very you know out of character for a guy like him i think at this point he'd just be he'd be wanting to kill anyone basically um but you know he left that one guy he used his bait alive but you know he that guy's gonna be dead anyway sometime soon but um then it cuts to these people who get saved by krauser's gang and you know introduces you to the 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 low rent macross that they're staying on <laughs> and you know reintroduces what's her face uh I, I, I don't even remember Vaya. her name now, Vaya. And you know, it, it was cool to see her, but at the same time, I didn't Who really cover. Also has badly drawn boobs in this OAV. Oh, oh God, yeah. as if you know she's older, but yet those boobs didn't get any better. <laughs> but yeah, just just an overall feeling for this. I, I just I could not stand Geist at this point. I just wanted Krause to take him out, and you know, Krause is the lesser of two evils, and that's saying something because you know, if Krause did happen to defeat all the Death Force and then ended up being the ruler of this planet, he'd have been. He'd have been the asshole that you know. He had eventually power would have corrupted him completely, as if as if it had no hadn't already. You know, it's just it was a mad world, and it would be madder with him in it. And 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 the fact that you were rooting for a guy like that just makes you look at this whole anime and say, "Oh my god, I I can't believe I just watched something where I rooted for <laughs> an irredeemable villain over you know a sociopathic villain." But no, Death Force is terrible. There's no redeeming values here. Uh, I, I can't believe I had to sit down and watch that yesterday, but I, I did, and I was glad when it was over, man. Seeing those credits, one of the best moments in, in, in my anime viewing uh, history, right then and there. It's like, thank God, this, this garbage is completely done. I could fast forward and see these little glimpses, and I'm, it's, it's over, and, and I gladly did that. It, total trash. This is <laughs> buried, buried garbage. It definitely is. It definitely is. I can't believe it got made. I really can't. I, I, I believe I, it. I think. <laughs> I, just you know, my thing on my last word on Andy guys too is Go like I just don't understand. I mean, would they write the story like in uh, you know like on a on a napkin? Because <laughs> I mean, there was no story and. <laughs> It, it it is while, while on the toilets. Yeah, and and it, and it's it's definitely one of these things where you eclipsed what's been universally thought of as the worst uh, anime <laughs> with something that's just even oh just terrible. But um, before we finish, I guess uh, Chris on the MHQ scale, what would you give MD Geist? And it, oh, I'm sorry, MD Geist one colon yeah. director's cut, MD Geist two colon death force. What would you give it? Um, would this be the first negative numbers in the, <laughs> the MHQ scale? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We got a lot. We get, we got uh, a, 
well, I get a lot of shit when one of my reviewers gave uh, the Nadesco movie uh, zero stars. <laughs> And I got all the hate for it, even though I didn't even review Nadesco. So I'm like, what the hell, man? But I would say I would give MD Geist colon director's cut a one. A one. And I would give MD Geist two colon death force uh, kind of wavering between zero and half a star. Okay. So <laughs> And the thing is, you know, and I, and I want to summarize. I want to make this clear before any MD Geist defenders come in. Because okay. I know that at some point. Oh, man, they will. You know. There are things that are bad, and that they're so bad that they're good, mm-hmm. just because they're so bad. Yeah. But then there's that rare category of something that is so bad that it goes beyond that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad that it can't be good for being bad. Yeah. You can't. This you can't is, look at the good. You can't. You can't take it for what it is or whatever. There's no amusing cheese. There's yeah. no like you know something that you like even though it's bad factor. This is just all out bad. This is not the this is not the uh, the original Street Fighter movie with Jean Claude Van Damme where <laughs> you look back and it's like it's so bad but it's so campy it's actually kind of good you know so I don't think I'd say that either the 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 only thing I would say is uh, you know amusing about the original Street Fighter is that whole speech yeah. that uh, Raul Julia gives and it's like you know for something like you know. For you, uh, meeting me, it was the most important moment of your life. For me, it was Tuesday morning. Yeah. It was Tuesday. <laughs> All right, yeah. Chris, anything else on MD Geist 1? Or I, I would Geist say 2? that, uh, interestingly, even John O'Donnell, who probably was the number one MD Geist fan, uh, according to Justin, had to eventually admit that uh, it wasn't as, as great as, uh, as it was. Uh, he says, over my tenure... At CPM, the continued goofing on Geist by fans and staff alike eventually wore down poor John, and the man eventually went from utter denial. It's the best anime ever made to resignation. It's the best bad anime ever made. Oh, the man still loves the show, and hey, far be it from me to criticize someone's guilty pleasure. Once he even showed me his ultra-rare vinyl 45 of the show's theme song. <laughs> wow. So I guess even the most uh, devoted uh, of fan singular yeah mm-hmm. had to eventually uh, come to the realization that uh, it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be exactly <laughs> so, so uh Solbro, your uh, any Solbro guarantees on this uh no man I, I've got, either one of these and you guys one or two i've got a new scale for this one i got a brand new scale i'm gonna introduce today okay md guys gets five <laughs> flushes out of five yeah, I guess we. I guess if we use the flush, we could use flushes as our rating in anime toilet <laughs> with uh, five being. I, I'll uh, give. I'll give this five flushes. Um, I would give instead it instead of the MHQ scale. I had to channel my inner, inner yeah. Adam Sessler right there. I. Uh, I would. I would also um, go with the five flushes and the five flush performance. I mean, it, actually, I think I could give. I could give Geist one four point. Eight five flushes and Geist two is five flushes, because uh, <laughs> you know, as bad as MD Geist is, it's not as bad as MD Geist two. Um, but my last thing on this, though, I I encourage everyone to watch these because <laughs> you should know what's bad. Because you, you can't it, know what's good without knowing what's bad. Really, and they're short enough where it's not going to make that much of a difference, and it will make you appreciate even though they're horrible 
things like Destiny and G Savior and stuff like that. I was looking forward to watching G Savior <laughs> after this. It's like you know sometimes when you uh, like you go and you, you go get cologne and they you know to clear your nose they they have you smell coffee beans. Mm-hmm. It's like I felt like I needed a G Savior to cleanse my palate of MD uh, Geist one and MD Geist two. Hey, you know it's ninety minutes of your life that you're never gonna get back. But you know how many times of your life do you measure in increments of one or two or three hours that you're never going to get back. Yes, yeah. yes. What's yeah. an extra 90 minutes? But yeah. as a basis of comparison, uh, G-Savior would get one flush. That's how bad this was. <laughs> yeah. That's how bad Probably, this yeah. was. Oh, my God. But um, if that's it, any any other things, guys, before we go? Double O season two gets 11 out of five flushes. <laughs> five flushes cute. <laughs> oh, uh, Neo, should, should we... Uh, why don't we go ahead and tease the audience about what the next uh, anime toilet oh, segment is no. going to be about? Okay. Well, we've all kind of decided what the next uh, anime toilet. I don't. I don't know which uh, episode we'll be recording on, but it'll pro- probably be in the sometime near future, mm-hmm. probably within the next two or three episodes, I would imagine. Um, but this one is going to be <laughs> set in a world that a lot of people know of. And it's actually started as one world, then was kind of perverted into another one because of, you know, uh, some circumstances back in the 80s uh, that made sense, but now don't make sense. And uh, our final thing is the next segment of Anime Toilet will be Robotech The Shadow Chronicles. Oh, my God. The movie I couldn't even watch 15 minutes of. I will have to sit well, now there. You're gonna have to watch the whole I, damn. Thing. I gotta watch the whole thing. The movie that Solbro owns and has never seen. <laughs> and I think the movie that Chris got free from one of the anime distributors and is probably propping up a, 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 a um, you know an uneven uh, end table right now. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> but uh, on that bombshell, we'll, we will be back in a little bit. Uh, you're listening to Gundam at MHQ. Here's to being dead. You're taking this extremely well. Taking what extremely well? That I'm here. I don't give a goddamn if you're dead or time traveling or the ghost of Christmas past. All I care about is this whiskey. So bottoms up. Get the hell out of my house. Hi, I'm Mitsugi. And I'm Hatake. And we're the hosts of Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. AAAPodcast.com. Listen up, anime fans. Do you find yourself spending tons of money on anime DVDs and merchandise? Wishing you drove a Gundam to work instead of your car? Singing J-pop music in the shower? If you do any of these things, you might be an anime addict. At the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, we have one mission, to turn your anime addiction into an obsession. We entertain our listeners with current anime news, celebrity guest hosts, hilarious discussion topics, and fair, unbiased review on current and past anime. Here are a few testimonials. I used to be a total anime noob. Now I know so much about anime that I can say, Spike was caught riding on a tach coma eating Poppy wearing a hidden leaf village headband while looking at a foldout of Revy in a death note, and know exactly what that means. Now that I listen to the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, I never have to watch a bad anime again. They watch them, so I don't. So visit us at aaapodcast.com and submit anime review requests on our forum and tune in on iTunes. 
so you can always have the latest in news and reviews. So get obsessed with Anime Ilex at the AAA, and remember, we're here for you. I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Hey everybody, welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. Uh, this wraps up episode 59, where we continued the Ghost in the Shell roundup with a discussion of the standalone complex TV show. And we also kicked off a new segment, Anime Toilet, discussing uh, the worst anime that uh, you need to watch because it's so bad. And of course, the inaugural series was MD Geist. So, because this is a new segment, um, we could certainly use some suggestions. You know, you could... Um, toss in to the hat uh, some ideas for other horrible series to cover in Anime Toilet in the uh, feedback thread on uh, the Gundam subform of mechatalk.net and uh, we will eagerly watch to see uh, what some people nominate and what they think deserves to uh, be flushed down the Anime Toilet. <laughs> so I will uh, move now to Soulbro if you have uh, your usual web pimping to do. By all means, uh, peep the websites, uh, mahq.net and um, go to gundam.net for not only uh, episode releases but all the links to our social networking sites and, and a playlist of all our episodes. And um, you can reach us by email by going to Gundam, M-A-H-Q, at gmail.com. And I'd like to give a shout-out to the uh, Eggman and the gang from 12 Volt Revolt. They had me on as a guest talking about various subjects, um, even a, a review of uh, Inception, a spoiler-laden review of Inception. So if you've seen that movie recently, uh, check that podcast out and see what we have to say about that. But um, I'd like to thank those guys for having me on, and um, I uh, go to their website to ch- uh, download that episode. Don't forget Mecha Talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and mechatalk.net. For the forum. For the forums. Um, make sure to go there to uh, post your replies to what we talked about in this episode. All right. Uh, Neo, any uh, comments, announcements? No, not at this time. Uh, all I got, Well, actually, one thing. Gundamax 2011. <laughs> and Blu-ray. The petition runs strong. With a with a Hollywood voice acting <laughs> cast. All right. Shia LaBeouf as Garrett Rand. <laughs> Brad Pitt as Jabil Neat. Nice. Yes. No, clearly uh, it, it should be Zac Efron as Garrett Rand. Oh, that's right. He's yeah, he's hot. He's hotter and younger now. So that's that's right. Okay. And, and uh, Miley Cyrus as Tifa. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And the, the Frost the brothers would be what? Uh, um, like Gary Oldman or something. One of those guys. <laughs> oh man, the Jonas. They, they the always Jonas got like brothers. some. They always <laughs> the Jonas brothers <laughs> as the Frost the Frost brothers. Oh man. But there's <laughs> three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad for one of them. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, with that, uh, we're done with this episode. And uh, as usual, if you have any other comments or questions for the mailbag, uh, just visit the Mechatalk forum and mosey on over to Gundam. And uh, we'll catch you next episode. Are we really going to have to fight the Nexrum army? If 
we don't, that maniac killer's going to kill us. Gundam at MHQ is a Shinjuku station in the MHQ production. You're incapable of running this shit. Sit your $5 ass down before I make change.